Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. Uh, normally, your co-host is Shaq, but man, my boy Shaq has a scratched cornea. And you guys already know firsthand that we ain't pulling out of shows unless there's a real excuse. I mean, that one time I missed the Jeremy Stevens and Yair Rodriguez fights because I was in the hospital with some kidney issue. My boy Shaq, he tried on these new contacts, and immediately when he put them on, his eye turned red. He pulls it out. His eyes swell shut. He goes to the doctor. They say he's got a scratch cornea. So my boy, man, pre lock of the night, literally stepped up. Not not on 24 hour notice, not on 12 hour notice, not even on one hour notice. He stepped up on 30 minute notice. So today's guest co-host, my man, MMA lock of the night. How's it going, my friend? I'm good, man. Call me D. James Krause. Right? I mean, wasn't it him who stepped in on like a couple of uh, half an hour notice or something to weigh in against Trevin Giles back at UFC 248? I'm trying to do the same thing here. Always looking out for my boy. If I got the time, I, I got it definitely for my guy, Daniel Levy here. So yeah, happy to break down this card. Obviously, it would have been much better if we were breaking down Sandhagen and Dillashaw like we we're supposed to. But I'll, I'll take whatever fights we got left. And if I can be on uh, on the stream with you, I'm I'm more than happy to do so, brother. So Let's freaking get into it, dude. I mean, I was thinking more of the Cowboy Cerrone of podcasting, but we'll go with James Krause <laughs> for now. But uh, but listen, man, Pri, uh, it's going down this Saturday night in Las Vegas, Nevada, live at the Apex. We got Marina Rodriguez taking on Michelle, the Karate Hottie Watterson, five-round main event. A lot of people have been complaining. You know I never complain. I'm actually really excited. Marina Rodriguez, like one of the few in that weight class, and this is actually a flyweight, but she's normally a strawweight, one of the few in the weight class with that one-punch knockout power. You saw what she did to Marina Rodriguez. You see what she does to almost anyone that decides to stand with her. But Michelle Watterson is a serious veteran of the sport. You know uh, that head and arm throws, no joke either. <laughs> and uh, I have a feeling, listen, people complain about that Michelle Watterson versus Angela Hill main event. They got fight of the night. I have a feeling this is going to be an exciting one too, my friend. No, I absolutely agree. People are talking about this is the worst main event in UFC history. I'm like, you guys forget about Jessica or uh, Jessica I and freaking Cynthia Calvillo last summer. Like, let's let's tone it down a little bit. I know it's not Dillashaw and Sanhagen like we initially thought it was going to be, but th this should be fun, man. Marina Rodriguez is always fun to watch when she's not laying on her backs, helpless, trying to get back to her feet. But Michelle Watterson obviously brings the brings the heat as well. So, uh, yeah, she proved it last time against Angela Hill that they can go out there and deliver a solid five round main event. Does this go the full five? Personally, I don't think so. I'm very excited to break it down with you and, and give us our, uh, our our takes on it. But yeah, I'm excited for this main event, man. Given the circumstances, let's get it. I'm down. Yes, sir. So obviously, we're going to break down this whole car start to finish just like we always do. But first, I got to give a shout out to uh, our sponsor, Manscaped. And breaking news, this is an important PSA brought to you by Manscaped.com. This is your pubic service announcement and the news you've all been waiting for. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0, which is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. This new trimmer was just released moments ago, and we are one of the first to get our hands on it and share the news. And I mean, like, I thought the 3.0 was good enough. And then they were like, here comes the 4.0. I was like, yeah, okay, guys, let's see what difference it is. And I'm like, holy shit, this thing is beautiful. And it did make a difference and join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code battle 20 at manscaped.com. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0 and I'm absolutely blown away by the performance and the craftsmanship 
and details on the 4.0 because they're just next level. Their advanced ceramic blade and skin safe technology is so good that it almost seems as if Manscaped worked with Elon Musk's engineers to ensure your testes are as safe as possible. I mean, I personally thought they did. That's how damn smooth this thing is. And you guys already know the deal. You don't want to be cutting yourself. You don't want to be dealing with any bullshit, any nicks. You got to be ready for these short notice opportunities. Summer's coming right up. And, uh, you know, people want to talk about, uh, oh, but Kevin Holland got wrestled his last two fights. Yeah, Kevin Holland also made six figures in both those fights. So I don't. I, I think he's laughing all the way to the bank. And um, what makes this trimmer different than all other trimmers is a new multifunction on and off switch, uh, which can engage a travel lock. It's created for people who like to travel. I mean, listen, this is summer. This is the time of traveling. The airports are opening back up. Like, guys, it's, it's time to get on it. There's, there's Quarantine is almost over, my friends, and the Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn on a 4000K LED spotlight on and off when uh, needed for more precise shaving. I mean, power outage, no excuses. The new trimmer even allows you to trim, um, to customize your trim all over uh, additional guard lengths with sizes one to four, and looks wise, it's sleek with a two tone matte and gloss finish. Even features a hot foil stamped black chrome Manscaped logo. Show off that mower loud and proud. The optimized Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is waterproof so you can groom in the shower and not have to worry about making a mess on the bathroom floor. And did I mention a uh, wireless charging? The Lawnmower 4.0's new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help the battery last even longer. If you're still trimming your face with your ball trimmer, guys, it, it, it's time to make some changes. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BATTLE20 at manscaped.com. No person wants to end up with pubes in their mouth, and your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BATTLE20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code BATTLE20. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And I mean, look look at this fucking beauty right here. Ooh, I mean, goddamn. Uh, Y'all stepped up, Manscaped. Thanks for sticking with us, re-signing with us, and uh, let's get right down to business. So... Man, Pre, it's time to break down this card. For those that are just tuning in, shout out to my boy, Lock of the Night, stepping up on 30 minutes short notice. Uh, Shaq has a scratch cornea. Like, if, if you turn the lights on, his eyes get all fucked up. So everybody send Shaq, you know, tell him to feel better. Send him all the regards in the world because uh, we need him back. So, man, thank you for stepping up. First up in the welterweight division, we got a match between Christian Aguilera. He's 14 and 7. And the, the UFC debutante, Carlston Harris, is 15-4. and four. Currently, they got Carlston Harris minus 155. The comeback on Christian Aguilera is plus 135. So, listen, man, I mean, a lot of people have been looking forward to this kid, Carlston, making his debut on the regional scene. Has wins over Michelle Pereira. Now, granted, it was in 2015, but still, that's a good win to get in the regional scene. Even beat Wellington Terman, who's currently in the UFC. He's got some good wins. I mean, listen, his game is... It's pretty cut and dry. He's not coming out here trying to sugarcoat anything. This guy wants to wrestle. He wants to grapple hard. He wants to pick you up, Matt Hughes style, walk you across the octagon, slam you, hold you down, do whatever it takes, maybe get a submission along the way. The thing about this guy, Christian Aguilera, very, very hard hitter. Um, this guy has a bunch of first-round knockouts, and you don't get past that first round. It's probably because he knocked you out, but on the flip side, he's been knocked out a bunch himself too. And uh, listen, he's definitely the more experienced guy here. So I understand people taking the dog shot on him, but 
I think that they're trying to set up uh, Carlson with a win here. Listen, I'm not saying Carlson's going to be a top 15 guy or a top 10 guy. I'm not saying all that, but I'm saying he's going to be Christian Aguilera Saturday night in Las Vegas live at the Apex via wrestling. So I got Carlson Harris here to get it done. Yeah, I'm right there with you, dude. I, I think that this is pretty much a one-sided uh, fight here. Christian Aguilera, the last time I tried to fade him was with Anthony Ivey, and that did not work out well at all, as I thought that we'd get the similar type of game plan with Anthony Ivey trying to get Christian Aguilera down. Took 59 seconds for uh, Aguilera to t- uh, turn his lights off. But I think we're going to get a slightly better striker here in uh, Carlson Harris, somebody that's going to be a little, at least a little bit more defensively sound compared to what we got with Anthony Ivey. But I still think that it ends up on the mat. I think we see Carlson Harris uh, successful on the takedowns. Even with the clay, cage clinch and the cage work up there, we did see him go up against Carl Booth for over five rounds. And when he wasn't able to successfully get the fight to the ground, he was still successfully able to get the fight up to the cage and implement his kind of uh, intimidating and, and imposing style. So I really like what we're getting with Harris. Uh, but I still have a little bit of a uh, uh, some hesitancy in terms of pulling the trigger myself here. Let's see him actually get into the UFC, get a legitimate win. Uh, you know, Christian Aguilar is a, a good win and all that. But uh, his last win, right, was in front of Dana White after looking for a fight uh, against a 17-1 and Russian that they're more than likely trying to prop up and, and actually show off for uh, Dana White. But it was the other way around that night. So shout out to Guyana getting their first ever Guyanese fighter into the UFC. And I think that Carlson Harris gets the dub in his debut here. Uh, like you said, via wrestling. I, I don't know if, if he'll get the finish, but I think he'll win this fight uh, via decision pretty com- comfortably. Yeah, I remember that that episode, actually. Um, that's back when they were in Abu Dhabi. You know, Dana went to go watch one of the local shows. He was very impressed with the talent. And this kid Carlson was like, dude, you got to sign me like yesterday yeah. you know what i mean so it's good to it's good to have him in the ufc now Let, let's see what he's got this is the ultimate proving ground so next up in the middleweight division we got a matchup between tafan chukwi he's five and no he's taking on jung young park who's 12 and four currently they got tafan chukwi minus 140 the comeback on jung young park is plus 120 so uh you know normally i'm i'd be like so shaka uh, so 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 uh man free um Listen, this kid Park, he's landed more than five takedowns in more than one fight uh, against Barrio, against uh, the white Mike Tyson Phillips. So, you know, that's definitely, uh, you know, a path to victory. But the thing is, this kid Tafan, look, I know he's only five and no, but, you know, certain guys stand out. Um, and I think he's one of them. I mean, when Jamal Hill was only three and no, he was on contender series. He stood out to me. And now he's fighting all these experienced guys so early into his career. I think Tafan might be one of those exceptions, but I'm curious to hear your take because, look, John Young Park's proven in the UFC, landed over 10 takedowns in the UFC. Uh, what do you suspect goes down uh, when these two middleweights lock horns? I think we're going to get the upside here, man. I actually like Park in this situation. Now, Tafan, like you said, he has a lot of good things to like about him, but the one thing is he, he is 5-0, and oh, and uh, compared to your guy Jamal Hill, Jamal Hill seems to have a lot more tools in the toolbox compared to what Tafan is just you know going out there and, and striking with these guys, and he doesn't seem to put on the greatest pace, but when you have knockout power like he does, you don't really need to put on a pace because he's able to knock guys out in his first four fights. Obviously, he stretched to a decision in the Jamie Pickett fight, with that said, uh, you know, Jamie Pickett, I don't really rank that guy too heavily. It seemed like he just settled into the fight and let Tafan kind of dictate the pace there. Whereas John Young Park, I think John Young Park is going to be the one setting the pace here. You know, jabbing, uh, getting the volume out there. Uh, for right now, his durability seems to be on point. Never got knocked out in his career. His only losses are coming via submission. Are we going to see a submission from Tafan? Probably not. Um, and uh, yeah, if he can put a pace on Tafan, I think he can uh, gas him out uh, and start taking him down 
around later the fight uh, later this fight goes does he get him out of there i don't think he does but i think he needs, needs to play it pretty safe but also put a put a pressure on him put a pace on him and uh hopefully stay away from the big strikes and i think he can out volume in here man again as long as he doesn't get caught with anything early and by all signs he seems to have a good chin on him i think he can go out there and outpace out volume to fawn on route to a decision win now like the guy looks amazing if you want to talk about physicality right he falls into the william knight uh category of guys here and it's funny that they actually fought each other and to ended up coming on the winning uh side of that fight i don't know about you i thought that was a little bit of an early stoppage is what it is but uh i, I still think he's going to struggle here with uh, the way that park fights a lot of people want to give uh shit on park because of you know he only has wins over barrio and and uh john phillips in his last two fights but he's at the mercy of the matchmakers guys like we need to remember that at least he went out there and did what he was supposed to do against those guys. So uh, is he going to go out there and get seven takedowns against Stefan and get 13 minutes of control time? Probably not. But I think we'll see the numbers on his side a lot more if this fight hitches, hits the judges' scorecards. And I, I lean the guy that's going to be putting the more volume out there. So I like Park, and I think he swings the upset. And I think everybody who's been pushing the line to closer of an even uh, pick him is on the right side here. So if you're getting uh, Park around plus 140, plus 130, or, or anything better than that, good on you. Uh, but I do like Park here, dude. Some of y'all just tuning in, asking where Shaq at. Uh, <laughs> so I, I guess I'm going to be saying this throughout the show. My boy Shaq has a scratch cornea. Um, basically, any kind of light right now is fucking with his eyes real bad. So all y'all go send him your best wishes. You know what I mean? We hope he makes a speedy recovery. So I'm on the opposite side here, my man. Listen, um, I get he's only five and zero, oh, but so what? I mean, every pass he's had, every test he's had, he's passed with flying colors. And the Will Knight thing, we can call it an early stoppage, but let's still acknowledge the fact that he dropped Will Knight, was ground and pounding him, and from there it's a uh, ref's discretion. So I mean, Tafan put Will Knight in that situation to get stopped. It's not like you know, it's not like Will Knight slipped on a banana peel. Will Knight got clipped and went down, and then. Um, the Jamie Pickett fight. I agree. I've never been high on Jamie Pickett either, but the whole thing was, well, what happens if Tefan goes past round one? Tefan goes past round one. He lands fucking 120 strikes in the fight, gets 30, 25s on the scorecard. So now I know this guy can go the distance. Also, what's his get up game? Like what's his takedown defense? Like he trains at a very good jujitsu gym. I mean, you see the get up game of a guy like Sodik Yusuf, um, even Vic, when he was in his prime, like, those guys uh, don't get held down, and I saw in that picket fight that he doesn't get held down either, and he's got this kind of slow, methodical pace, but he can push it throughout the three-round duration. I, I like Park. He's aggressive. He's got decent boxing. Um, he's been mixing in a lot of takedowns, which I like, but I don't think that he's going to have the same success on those takedowns here. I mean, when he fought Barrio, not, not to discredit that win, it's a fantastic win, but everybody knows that after that fight, Barrio started taking some stuff. You know, Barrio tested positive his next fight. And all of a sudden, his physique changes his next two fights. Um, so Barrio realized, hey, I just went 0-3 in the UFC. Uh, maybe we need some new Flintstone vitamins. He wasn't on those Flintstone vitamins when he fought John Young Park. And then John Phillips. I mean, I, I think my boy Man Pre could set a takedown record on uh, John Phillips. So <laughs> to me, not discrediting those wins, because I think John Young Park's a very tough guy. And he, not only that, he's got a win over uh, the PFL Million Dollar Champion, uh, Ray Cooper, as well. So I, I respect Park a lot. It's just that when you're dealing with an African, and I talk about this a lot, that African power can make up for a lot of things. It can make up for experience. It can make up for technique. Except the thing is, this guy's got good technique. The thing about this guy is, like I said, you expect someone with that physique to come out there and just gas after round one. And then when I'm seeing him 
you know, up his strike counts in round two and three. I'm like, yeah, this is someone that can probably go far. And then I like the fact that he dropped a middleweight too. He was already a big 205er. Now he's a fucking massive middleweight. Um, I think Zhang Young Park is going to struggle to get him down. And I think uh, he's going to actually be surprised that he's getting outstruck by a guy with much less MMA experience, not less kickboxing experience, less MMA experience, but the kickboxer is training at a jujitsu gym. So I know his grappling is going to be on point. I'm going to go with Tafan Chukwi. Uh, to handle biz here and um Shaq sent me all his all his picks um, nice so i can tell y'all he uh he went with Tafan in this one as well he didn't say the only pick he didn't send me for was the first fight so it's all good aside from that he sent me a pick for everyone so i'll tell y'all who he got but I- i'm going to Tafan here now next up in the flyweight division this should be interesting we got ryan benoit who's 10 and 7 he's taking on zaruk adashev who's three and three now i know three and three but, but he was also 17 and three as um as a kickboxer so you know so let's go with 17 and 6 and in combat sports um currently they got ryan benoit minus 150 the comeback on zaruk adashev is plus 130 so look man pre i mean we can agree ryan benoit's the more experienced guy in mma no doubt about it um just stylistically what's interesting about this fight though is that you know zaruk a bit of a kickboxer he wants to stand and bang ryan benoit the same thing um there's not much of a takedown threat on either side but sometimes ryan benoit just i don't know if he underperforms or maybe he's just not that good but the thing is he's been in the ufc a long ass time i mean i saw him fight freddie serrano in atlanta georgia a long ass time ago so just laying chalk on a guy like ryan benoit just doesn't seem like a good idea like i get it he's got the more experience he's got i I always said he's one of the hardest hitters in the flyweight division back in the day it used to be uh john maraga and ryan benoit those were the two hardest hitters uh at flyweight so he can end anyone's night with one punch the rook has been ended with one punch but man, at the betting window, I kind of feel like this might be a dog or pass situation, as crazy as that sounds. Like, I think that, you know, I just can't trust Ryan Benoit at, at Chaka, man. Um, he makes way too many bonehead mistakes. Like, in that Elliott fight, props to Elliott, but, like, even that first round, like, Ryan, like, refused to throw. And and I feel like now he's actually been working on his jiu-jitsu. He's been training with Gary Tone and, and, um, and shit like that, which I really uh, appreciate because when he got taken down, he's been scrambling back up these last few fights. But there's just errors in the process and the lack of activity and look his kicks his punches are so damn hard he could get a knockout here i think there's a chance adashev might outwork him in this spot um and i never thought i'd say it but i'm gonna pick zaruk adashev to win a ufc fight um and uh let's see what happens but yeah i'm gonna go with him shaq's got benoit by the way yeah, I'm going to be on Adeshev here as well. I completely agree with every take that you have here. The only concern that I have in terms of actually betting Adeshev here is if we actually see Benoit go out and, and try to pursue the takedown. And I've never really been a fan of his takedown game. I don't think he really has the greatest wrestling. So it's great that he's reckoning out his jiu-jitsu, but how successful can he truly be in terms of actually getting this fight to the ground and getting into that realm? I don't think he'll be that successful. Zaruk, if you watch his fights in Bellator, you actually see him trying to do like the wrestling stuff. You see him trying to go for takedowns. You see him flowing on top. You see him trying to take the back of his opponents. Even has a decent get-up game from what I've been seeing, but that's against lower Bellator competition, right? And do I clump Ryan Benoit in with Laura Bellator type of competition. Maybe not that bad, but possibly middling tier uh, Bellator competition. That's where I think that Ryan Benoit is. Let's just look at his three UFC wins. Sergio Pettis, let's all be honest. It's a bit of a fluke, right? We can all agree on that. Uh, Freddie Serrano, like you said, way back at UFC 201. And then Ashkan Mokhtarian. 
I think me and you have the same uh, perception of the Mokhtarian brothers, so we, we're not even going to rank that win, to be honest. But uh, when honestly, he does, man, not not to cut you off, brother. Both those wins were comebacks too. Yeah, I believe he broke his hands in the Ashkan fight, uh, and then was like down pretty much the entire time until he finally got the uh, the knockout there. But yeah, I, I just don't rank rank those wins at all. Even the Sergio Pettis one again, getting lit up the, pretty much the entire fight, and then gets knocked or gets that knockout. But I do lean with Adeshev. Like you said, he has over 20 fights, or I believe close to 20 fights in the kickboxing realm. He seems to be more of a point fighter with his striking style, so you're not probably going to get a knockout out of him here, but you should get a methodical approach from him in terms of trying to get the knockouts or, or trying to get the win here. Uh, let's just give him some credence regarding his U UFC losses. He came into UFC 3-1, kind of a, a benefit uh, of the whole uh, coronavirus thing, right? They're looking for fighters to step in on short notice. That was one of the first events, if I'm not mistaken, that the UFC was back as well. And uh, he gets knocked out by Tyson Nam right away, short notice, up a weight class. All right, let's 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 give him some slack. And everybody's just counting him out right away against Sumodarji. Yeah, he lost the fight, but I know a lot of people that are like, hit me up, like, yo, lock of the night, Sumodarji inside the distance. There's no way Adeshev survived of 15 minutes but people get caught up in that like first round knockout thing too quickly right we saw it with jacob malkoon we saw it with uh kb buller even though they uh buller and um adashev lost their preceding fights they can still go 15 minutes it's, it's just like an anomaly in terms of them getting knocked out really quickly so i don't think that we'll see him get knocked out quickly here against ryan benoit I, i'm actually agreeing with you i think we're going to see him go out there and put on a bit of a striking clinic this could go the full 15 like i said he's more of a point fighter than a knockout guy uh and, and yeah i agree with you man it, you're gonna get laughed at throughout fight week picking out just because of his uh ufc career up until this point and not to mention he's three and three but let's let's cut the guy some slack. And this is Ryan Benoit that we're talking about at the end of the day. So if Benoit's not able to secure those takedowns, I think it's going to be very tough for him to actually win this fight, uh, especially if he can't get that jujitsu going that he's been training with uh, Gary Tonin out here. So, yeah, I got Adeshev, and I agree. I think he wins by decision, dude. I mean, I don't really give a shit if anyone's laughing. It's all about what I see <laughs> and what I think. But look. Sure. Here's the thing with that Tyson Nam fight. Not to excuse it because I think Tyson Nam would have beat him regardless. I mean, you know, he took it on a couple days notice. He was fat as fuck. He looked like the Pillsbury Doughboy in that fight. <laughs> yeah. And here's the other thing. I agree Ryan Benoit should be favored. Like, that, there's not a debate in that part. I mean, more experience, just a little, just more seasoned in, in, oct in the octagon. It's just that he's not a guy you can trust at chalk. He, he's a guy that consistently underperforms and either loses to guys he should beat or underperforms i mean the freddie serrano fight was too close the highly alatang fight i'm just like ryan like what are you gonna ever put it together man because he is a heavy hitter man like i i've been watching this guy in the ufc for over half a decade man like he's not like a bad fighter it's just he, he and he just ain't the brightest in the cage and i say in the cage because what's interesting is some of these guys are like actually really smart and you hear them talk and you're like god damn like like steven ocho peterson i don't know if y'all know who that guy is but in the octagon complete punching bag but then you hear him talk and he's like this articulate well-spoken guy i'm like god damn like alex morano same thing like you know his last name's uh, morano you think the guy's a moron um kind of fights like one too you saw that jordan me fight but i mean like you hear him talk he's like this fucking well-educated well-spoken guy so it's kind of funny how it works um but you know rogan used to talk about how you know some of the best fighters they ain't the smartest guys <laughs> now that's true to an extent because i mean you hear it, gsb kamaru and all the guys at the top talk and they're smart as hell but some of these guys i mean i don't think jeremy stevens uh has a dual a diploma or anything like that you know so <laughs> i'm just saying um never judge a book by its cover now next up in the featherweight division 
And real quick, before I before I talk about that, my boy Rex said, loving the set day and time for the podcast. So real quick, what I wanted to say for those that didn't see my uh, my tweet. So basically, we're so blessed that you guys are willing to tune in anytime we decide to go live, anytime we drop a podcast. We're so grateful for that. But um, now, from now on going forward, 10 a.m. on Thursday of Fight Week is the set time for Half the Battle Live. So thank you all for all your support throughout the years. Uh, truly means a lot. Where's Shaq at, bro? Shaq's uh, dealing with a scratch cornea. He's on the 10-day uh, DL, man. Uh, so he'll, he'll be back. Uh, we wish him uh, a very, very speedy recovery. All right. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Ludovic Klein. He's 17-2. and two, And the ultimate fighter winner, Mike Trezano, is 8-1. and one. Currently, they got Ludovic Klein, minus 250. The comeback on Mike Trezano is plus 210. I've heard a lot of takes on this fight. I've heard a lot of people saying he's only minus 250 because he knocked out Shane Young. And, this, and he would have, you know, th- listen, I bet on him against Shane Young at like plus 110. Like, I was like, wait, you're telling me Ludovic Klein is fighting a punching bag? And it's it's dog buddy. Like, like you remember when Omar Morales fought Shane Young? I was like, wait, Omar's fighting a punching bag? Like, oh my god, like my eyes lit up. Like, that's one of my favorite bets of the whole year. Well, Mike Trezano's not a punching bag. You know, Mike Trezano's actually got a pretty decent point fighting style, man. Uh, it comes from a good camp, Tiger Shulman. You guys know some of the guys they've produced, Jimmy Rivera, Shane Burgos, Lyman Good, et cetera, et cetera. So I mean, look, I can't take it away from Mike Trezano. He he can strike, no doubt about it. It's just that he doesn't really have that much power behind him. Um, it's more of like a volume style. He's very technical. Look, I, I, I got a lot of respect for Trezano. I can't really say too many bad things about his stand-up. The ground game, and I, um, I don't think his ground game is bad either. I think that Grant Dawson's a, an animal on top, you know? Um, so I think Trezano's pretty solid, man. It's just that with this kid, Ludovic Klein, I'm not one of these guys suffering from recency bias because I was high on him prior to a Shane Young fight. I was like, yo, this guy's plus 110 against Shane Young. <laughs> like when I saw these head kick knockouts and and now he's starting to develop, uh, you know, the grappling to go along with it. And also in some of these earlier fights, he'd get taken down and like he's good at scrambling back up to his feet, man. So I think he's a pretty well-rounded guy. And the big difference here is just the firepower, the explosiveness and this, this dude, Ludovic, seems like a tank, man. I, I'm not sure how far he's going to go, and that's not me downplaying him because, like, I'm not sure if it's top 15. I'm not sure if it's top 10. I'm not sure if it's top 25. I, I, we kind of got to see what happens. Um, you know, like, for example, like, I always talk about Jamal Hill. Like, first time I saw him, I was like, oh, this is this is a future top five guy. Ludovic, not saying he's not. I, I just kind of – that last fight was only a minute and, like, 10 seconds. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it was against the punching bag. And – Mike Trezano is actually a, a decent striker. So I think this one probably goes to three-round distance. Um, but I just think that Ludovic Klein, man, is, is attacks to the body. He's got a good jab, that sneaky high kick. I think that he's going to kind of bust up a very tough Trezano. I think Trezano will hang in there. Look, if he gets knocked out, props to Ludovic. But I think Trezano probably hangs in there for all three. But uh, I'm going to go with Ludovic Klein via unanimous decision just by landing the more impactful shots, the kind of shots that make the judges and the fans go ooh and ah. God damn, this guy's a heavy striker. And uh, I think both men will be back, but I'm going Ludovic Klein. Shaq is also going Ludovic Klein. 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the contrarian take here. I'm gonna go on the Trezano side. Uh, I, I do like the value on him here as well. I think the line is a little bit too wide. Uh, I, I'm saying I I was definitely one of those guys calling recency bias on this line for sure, as I do think that some people are taken aback by that uh, the ability that he had to go out there and knock out Shane Young the way that he did. Most people aren't in the know in terms of knowing what we know about Shane Young. So I think that people are, are just like, oh, look at this new newcomer, 72. Looks like he has a great record. Seems like he's been fighting some good guys over there uh, on the European side of things. I think he's been competing for Octagon over there uh, for a couple fights now. I believe he was a champion over there too, if I'm not mistaken. But regardless, I, I, I just like what I've been seeing from Trezano. There are a couple things to not like, right? You got the two-year layoff. You got the fact that he hasn't fought in a while and he's had close fights in, in his past. But uh, I feel like the striking style that he brings here, like, like you said, it's kind of more of a, a point style than it is to go out there and knock your head off. That might actually favor him here. I think we'll see Klein maybe whiff on some shots. Maybe he's looking for those big knockout shots and those big impactful shots that you're talking about. And I think he might miss the mark here and we'll see if Trezano actually get the better shots off here. Um, again, I love the training camp that he's coming from. The absolute killers, like you said. Tiger Showman, Julio Arce is one of the guys that you kind of missed out on in terms of the, listing the guys that you're saying and I, I love that the style that they bring now is he a, a safe Sayud? is he a, a Greg Jackson probably not especially when you're watching like the corner work from, from Tiger Showman and his brother but uh, they, they know how to kind of fire up their uh, their fighters and how to get them going and it works out for them whether it's telling them technical shit or whether it's actually telling them you know get it together you know i don't i don't care if you're not feeling it get it together let's fucking get this round or let's get this win get this knockout whatever it may be uh I, again the only thing kind of keeping me away from running to the betting window and taking this plus 200 plus 225 that we're getting on Trezano is that layoff like you don't want to have a slow start against a guy like klein who could absolutely take your head off and knock your head into the fifth row as we've seen in his last fight I think Klein does have some good upside, but I think that the, this is a sketchy matchup for him. And uh, for people just running to the betting window and thinking that this is a, a lock of the night type of play on on Klein, I think they might be in for a bit more of a sweat than they're actually hoping for. Um, but I, I, I do ever so slightly lean on the Trezano side. I think he'll go out there and I'll point Klein. Uh, again, I just uh, feel his striking style is a little bit more suited for this type of fight. I'm not even worried about the layoff, man, because I've seen people come off even bigger layoffs and yeah. come back and win fights. So I don't know if people put too much stock in layoffs, but I am curious why he's been gone. Do you, do you have any info why he's been gone by chance? I believe he had a leg injury. Like, not, not even to mention, he was supposed to fight Rafael Alves uh, a couple months ago, right? And then he had to pull out of that. And we saw, um, uh, I believe it was Sabatini that pulled in. And then obviously the whole fiasco that happened with Alves. But I believe it was a leg injury. I could be off on that, though. Okay, got you, got you. My boy, uh, Nasty Nate, checking Nasty in from the Nate. fire station. Hey, look out for my boy, Nasty Nate Williams, a lightweight contender on the come up. Uh, this man's a fire, excuse me, this guy is a fighter, a firefighter, a father. I mean, the ultimate badass. So make sure y'all check out my boy, Nasty Nate Williams, uh, the man on a three fight win streak. Um, got a good fight coming up against the Bosnian. The dude he's fighting, his name is Demir Ferhat Begovic. So you already know it's going to be a tough fight. And Nate, you win that fight, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, let's keep our phone on because you never know when that uh, when uh, he's going to be sleeping at 4 a.m. That phone <laughs> call comes. Hey, you want to step up on five day notice uh, to fight, you know, Mike Trezano? And uh, I know you will uh, accept that call. So, Nate. Keep doing your thing, my man. And also, thank you for supporting Half the Battle. He also said, feel better, Shaq. I know Shaq's appreciative of that as well. All right, so 
Next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Phil Megatron Haas. He's 10 and 2. He's taking on Kyle Dacus, who's 10 and 1. Currently, they got Kyle Dacus minus 130. The comeback on Phil Haas is plus 110. I have a feeling we're going to disagree on this one. I'm going to let you go first. Who you got? I'm on the docu side here. Uh, a lot of people, for some reason, are thinking that Phil Haas has this newfound cardio edge that he's going to go out there and start grinding these guys out. Let's pump the brakes on that shit, guys. It's been one fight out of his, what, 12 total fights that he's ever gone to a decision, and he pulls it off a guy against a guy who, in my opinion, didn't have the best fight IQ to go out there and um, actually, uh, you know, uh, again, dig for underhooks or or try to take this fight to the ground when he saw Phil Haas as gassed as he was. Maybe it was Imovov that just had cardio issues himself, too. That's something that people might be overlooking in this spot. But Kyle Dock is forgetting a guy that's getting uh, or having improved striking, uh, but his bread and butter has got to be his jiu-jitsu game. The guy has 8 out of 10 wins coming via submission. He's always searching for that choke, that dart stroke, whatever it may be. Um, but I, I like Dawkins to win this fight. If he can stay away from that big power early here, I think he's going to start to wear on Phil Haas. I don't think Phil Haas will get away with the same game plan that he had against Imovov. Um, you know, if it's just laying on him up against the cage or taking him down and laying on him from on top there, uh, I think we'll see Kyle Dawkins either, you know, hit a trip, uh, you know, dig his underhooks, switch the position. We've seen him in those positions in the past. Uh, I think he can even hit takedowns himself. And even if he ends up on the bottom here, I trust his jujitsu game enough that he's offensive enough to one, put up submissions or two, go for a reversal and uh, and get a submission from on top or get a ground and pound finish from on top. The one line that I'm most confident in, though, with this fight, though, is the under two and a half. I feel like we're going to see a, a finish regardless whoever it is. And last thing I'll say about Phil Haas, he does not seem that comfortable off of his back foot. Every time he was like at space or not the one pushing the pace against Imovov, absolutely getting touched up on the feet. Anytime he closed the distance, for some reason, Imovov's clinching up with him, allowing him to recover, allowing him to get back into the fight. Uh, I don't think we'll see that from Kyle Dukas. I believe we have a mean streak in Kyle Dukas, and we'll see him you know, pivot off of those situations where Kyle, uh, Phil Haas is trying to close the distance and clinch up with him, especially when he's getting torched on the feet. Um but I, I won't lie. There is that little bit of me that says Phil Haas could potentially knock him out in this first round, which is why I feel much more comfortable taking the under two and a half around that minus 150-ish mark. But I do ultimately think it's going to be Phil, uh, Kyle Dawkins, you know, maybe a club and sub situation or even just absolutely dominating him on the ground once this fight hits the second or early third rounds. Uh, but yeah, I think we see a finish and I actually think it's going to be Kyle Dawkins that ends up pulling it out. I knew we were going to disagree on this one. I'm excited. So... I think Phil Haas is so like underappreciated to a point where like when this guy was three and no as a pro, they put him in there with Andrew Sanchez. Like what? Like we can say what we want about Andrew Sanchez, but like Andrew Sanchez is like you know losing to guys like Mahmoud Muradov, Anthony Smith, like a three and no guy, not not a ten and no guy. A three and no guy was in there with Andrew Sanchez, and then you know uh, that was an exhibition bout, so it didn't count on his record. Then. um then he fought Lewis Taylor, the million-dollar winner from PFL, the guy that knocked out Magomedov in 30 seconds. The kid's 4-0 and in there with Lewis Taylor. Then his next doesn't get a bounce back. His next fight, he's 4-1. and He's fighting Julian Marquez. Like, like, they're rushing this guy who's had five fights or less to, to fighting all these UFC guys. So I think he just kind of had a – he took two years off, comes back, and – no one could go past the first round with him. That's not his fault. Nasserine was the first one that could. And I actually picked Phil Haas by decision in that fight going into it because it's like one of those things where 
the whole thing about, oh, he's first round or bust. Well, he won two rounds in that Imavov fight, and Imavov's a much better striker than Dacus. I mean, Imavov was coming out with a bunch of one-punch uh, knockouts coming into the UFC. Um, I know I know you remember that knockout he had over uh, the Canadian Spider. What's that oh, kid? Jonathan Mounier or whatever, or whatever his name <laughs> is. Not, yeah. I, I know I know you remember that. So, listen, going into the fight, everyone was saying Imavov was going to break uh, Phil Haas, and I was blown away by those entries. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, he just ate on Like, dude, those entries are fucking explosive. They're serious. This is a D1 wrestler. This is a freak athlete. This is a guy with one-punch knockout power, and finally he got the experience of going past the first round. The last time he went past the first round, he was a 4-1 and one fighter taking on Julian Marquez, okay? He got blown out the water. He had, a, he had to learn his... I mean, he was dominating Marquez, then he got caught. He had to learn his lesson. I think he did learn his lesson. If this is a fight that he can build off of, I think he's going to do better here with Dacus. It's one of those situations. I respect Dacus. I mean, I just kind of view Dacus as an average athlete and an average black belt. And when I say average black belt, later on on the card, you want to you want to see the opposite of an average black belt. We're going to talk about Carlos Diego Ferreira, who is an elite, an exceptional black belt. So there's there's levels to being black belts. I think Kyle, I think Kyle's eye. I think he's OK. I, 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 yeah, I don't think he's anything special. I mean, I think Kyle Dawkins is a guy that was getting dropped more than once by Brendan Allen. When's Brendan Allen been known for dropping anything? Brendan Allen is known for taking your back and scrambling, you know, and Brendan Allen was out here dropping him not once, but twice with knees, with punches. So I just think there's a situation where Phil Haas, he can lean on a guy like Kyle Dawkins, get him tired. I think I think if anyone's getting takedowns here, it's going to be Phil Haas. Maybe get that one punch knockout, but I don't think so. I think Kyle Dawkins is an extremely durable guy. So I, I think that Phil Haas is actually going to win another decision here. Um, <laughs> and uh, I picked him to win a decision against Imavov. That came through. I think he's winning a decision here, man. Um, Dawkins is is pretty damn tough. That's why I don't think he's going to get finished. Um, he might get finished. I mean, you know, we're dealing with, again, Phil Haas is a D1 wrestler, a freak athlete, and he's got one-punch knockout power, and finally he just had the experience of going the full distance for the first time in over half a decade. If he can just build off that just this much, I think he's going to win. Look, I think Kyle Dawkins will be back. I think Kyle Dawkins is no slouch at all. I just kind of feel like it's Phil Haas' time right now. I think he's flat out in his prime. I think he's learned from his mistakes. I think he's going to come out here and uh, piss a lot of people off when he wins this fight against Kyle Dawkins. And I don't think Dawkins has the power to put him down in that third round either. So, And also, again, yes, did he get wobbled against Imavov? Yes, but I, I, weren't y'all calling Imavov like the Russian sniper going in in that fight? Weren't y'all saying Imavov's got this one-punch knockout power? Like, Kyle Dawkins ain't that guy. So... Yeah, I mean, um, I'm going. Uh, I'm going Phil Haas here by unanimous decision. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got Big Ben Rothwell. Uh, remember when he knocked out Brendan Schaub? We got Big Ben Rothwell. It was an ATL. I was there. He's 38 and 13. He's second on Philippe Lynch, who's 14 and five. Currently, they got Ben Rothwell minus 115, and Philippe Lynch is minus 105. So, look, I know Philippe Lynch. Has in uh right, hold on one second. This guy said, "When's the pro debut?" Nate, Nate's already a pro. Nate's twelve and six as a pro. He's about to be thirteen and six when he beats uh Demir Fairhat Begovic, and then hopefully after that gets the call. If not, make it fourteen and six, and then he'll get the call. So Nate, Nate's deep into his career, but it's uh Jamar Whitehead, Jamar the Rockstar Whitehead, who's making his pro debut this Saturday night live on Flow Combat. Um, so yeah, definitely tune in uh for that. Now, anyways. Next up, uh, 
Sorry, I lost my train of thought because I had to answer that. Okay, Rothwell and Lynch. So I pick him with a slight lean on Rothwell. Listen, man, Rothwell has looked slow as molasses his last few fights. And I know that Phil, uh, I almost said Phil Haas. I know Philippe Lynch hasn't gone off to the best UFC start. You know, there is a lot of questions about the leniency and the drug testing at PFL compared to the UFC. Um, but also he had some tough matchups, uh, you know, along the way. I personally think this is a more winnable fight. Do you see Lynch getting back on track or is it a case where maybe maybe he's just not, you know, maybe because I look when you win that million dollars, like what's the point of even fighting anymore? You won already. Like because I'm, I'm good friends with Lewis Taylor, uh, Bilal's coach, and he's the PFL middleweight champion. He won the million dollars like and, and, you know, me and him talk all the time. And he was telling me about how like, dude, like, I've accomplished everything there is to accomplish in the sport. And I never even fought in the UFC. Like I won, I won the million dollars. Like what else is there to do? Like for me to fight again, like you got to offer me a year's salary for it to even be worth my time. So Philippe Lynch is getting that year's salary. He does get like a hundred K, but I, I think that um, it is one of those cases where does he still have that hunger to wake up and put those miles in? Now that might not matter here because Ben Rothwell ain't out running, ain't out speeding, ain't out doing shit. It's just Ben Rothwell hits hard and Philippe Lynch has been knocked out before. That's the big concern. But I'm just going to say that if Philippe Lynch stays conscious, he's winning this fight. He's got more output. He's faster. I think he's hungrier. I think that uh, Ben Rothwell badly needs his Flintstone vitamins. Um, he's not popped once. He's popped twice. Um, I don't think you're going to see uh, Ben Rothwell do that little dance uh, Saturday night. You know that dance he did after he knocked oh out Brandon God. Vera? You know yeah. that not, that dance he did after he knocked out Alistair Overeem? I don't see that happening Saturday night. I see Philippe Lynch getting back on track, out-volume him, out-work him, out-speed him, May maybe knock him out. I, I, I don't know. Ben's very durable, but Philippe Lynch for the win is my pick. Third time's the charm, kid. Yeah, I'm on Philippe here as well, but this is a, a dumpster fire of a matchup for me. Like, I call this dumpster fire number one of the night. Obviously, number two, you have, I'm pretty sure just by scanning the card, you can figure out which fight I'm talking about. But I, you know, the, the one concern here with Linz is he's coming off that knockout loss to Tanner Bozer. It's not often that you see Bozer getting these knockouts with his hands. And the guy's a good technical striker, don't get me wrong. But Philippe Linz came into the UFC with such hype, right? He came in minus 235 against Andre Olovsky. And you know, people can say what they want about that fight being a robbery or not, but the way Linz fights, sometimes he fights a little bit too close uh, for, for it to be called, and it might be a little bit uh, of a robbery, people want to call it that, but when you fight that close, you can't be complaining. It's almost like the Angela Hill thing, right? She fights close to her competition, and then she starts complaining about it after, but it's on you. Either you finish the fight, which obviously is harder than, you know, to, to, to actually do than I'm saying it is, but uh, make it make it decisive. Make it, uh, you know, something that the judges can't deny you. And uh, in that Arlovsky fight, it was, it was very freaking close. Linz, you're saying that he's a volume fighter. I kind of agree with that, but I slightly disagree in the fact that he seems a little bit more calculated with his approach rather than just going out there and just throwing volume. Like he, he well, man, pre, man, pre, not, not to cut you off. I didn't say he was a volume fighter. I said he's got more volume than Ben Rothwell. That, yeah, exactly. Uh, that, that's what I was kind of getting to eventually. Like uh, he is a calculated approach with his striking. Uh, and with Ben Rothwell, his issue over the last couple of fights is just not pulling the trigger. Yeah. Yeah, he has wins over OSP and another guy that he beat before that, but like he's not gonna beat a guy with the with the style that he currently has. And at 39 years old, I believe he's at right now, it's only gonna continue to get downhill. You can be older in this division and get away with it at times, but when you're getting into that Ben Rothwell stage where it's just 
doesn't pull the trigger and he doesn't really have a, a volume friendly style like he needs that knockout or he needs that where's that five finger choke or ten finger choke that he got against fucking uh, Josh Barnett back in the day and Matt, uh, Matt Mitrione. We're not seeing that anymore, right? Apparently Ben Rothwell is this great jiu-jitsu player, but he doesn't look like it off of his back. He, you know, he needs to be on top. And what, how often do we see him on top going for takedowns? It's just not that often anymore. So uh, I, I got uh, the last straw for me was his loss against Marcin Tabura for me. Uh, I did take him in that fight as I thought he would be, you know, pressuring uh, a Tabura a little bit more. I thought he had good enough takedown defense to keep the fight on the feet. That was incorrect. I thought he'd be able to at least land the big shots on Tabura, maybe put his ass out. That did not happen either. Tybura, I'm not trying to talk shit on that guy. I think he's a pretty solid all-around fighter, but that should have been a winnable fight for Ben Rothwell. And if he's not able to pass that test at this point in time, I think this Philippe Lynch fight might be even more difficult for him in terms of the way that Lynch approaches this fight. So as long as he doesn't get his ass knocked out, I think Lynch should go out there slightly out volume Ben Rothwell and win this fight uh, by landing the more impactful shots, uh, looking like the busier guy, moving a little bit better. And I just quickly want to touch about on that $1 million thing that you're talking about, right? Like you got a mill in the bank. Do you really want to fight anymore? Do you really want to get out of bed, run that extra mile, whatever it is? When Louis, Louis Taylor right now, he's 41 years old, right? Like I'm sure he doesn't want to fight as much anymore, sitting back, you know, sipping his mojito, whatever he's drinking, whatever he does. Philippe Lins, 35 years old, still wants to make a little bit of a name for himself inside the MMA world. Great. It's amazing winning that million dollars for PFL. But nobody knows who the fuck you are. And now you're coming over to the UFC and like you feel like you can compete with these top heavyweights. And based on the skill set that he brought into the UFC, it seemed like he could compete with these guys. Like he could, you know, make it into the top five. But stumbling out the gate with two straight losses is not the greatest look. So let's try to get him back on track. This is a very winnable fight for him. It's a bit of a name in the heavyweight division, even though it's 39-year-old Ben Rothwell, who's on his last legs at this point in time. I'm still on the Lynn side. As long as he doesn't get knocked out, this fight should be, you know, it should be boring. Let's be honest. It's probably going to go over two and a half. It's probably going to reach the judge's decision. And we'll see Lynn's actually get the, the nod here just by being the slightly more active guy and landing the better punches. Yeah. Uh, Shaq's got Lynn's as well. So next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Amanda Hibosh. She's 10 and two. She's taking on Angela Hill, who's 13 and nine. Currently, they got and uh, Amanda Hebosh minus 175. The comeback on Angela Hill is plus 155. So, I mean, can uh, Amanda Hebosh keep this on the map before that chin gets touched? I, I'm on the Angie Hill side here, man. I, I, now, a lot of people are calling Angie Hill pillow fisted, but they're clearly not watching her last couple of fights. She is damaging these women. She's like hurting some of these women. She recorded a knockdown against Claudia Gadelio with a beautiful step and elbow at that uh, in that fight. Um, Amanda Hibas, I've been saying for the last couple of fights now, she, she's she been honey-dicking people into thinking that she has a great striking game. Now she has a, I'd say a mediocre striking game and she looks amazing, you know, spinning uh, spinning back hits and all that type of stuff against Mackenzie Dern. But that's Mackenzie Dern pre-Jason Perello. And that's Mackenzie Dern, you know, just trying to strike and trying to get the fight to the ground and get her uh, grappling game going. Amanda Hibas wanted none of that. She was able to control where that fight went. She kept that fight on the feet and her hands looked great in that fight because she could make it look great against a girl like Mackenzie Dern. Then beating girls like Random Marcos and, you know, Paige Van Zandt, she takes that fight to the ground immediately. Uh, easy for her to get those types of wins. Then she fights a legitimate striker like Marina Rodriguez, who, you know, we can say she has pissed for a takedown defense, and it showed off in that first round. And then in that second round, you know, stays on the feet a little bit too long, eats a beautiful counterpunch from Marina Rodriguez, and then get, ends up getting finished twice, thanks, Herb Dean. But it still shows out there that she, I feel like she, she doesn't, 
react well to getting punched by a proper puncher. And we know we're getting a proper puncher here and Angela Hill, who knows a thing or two about Muay Thai. So I think that uh, with the improving takedown defense game of Angela Hill and her ability to get back to her feet, uh, she should be able to keep this on the feet. And I think that's where we're going to see her land some good strikes against Hibas uh, and potentially knock her out. I think I'm not going to go out here and say that Hibas is you know, Chinny or she's freaking Cody Garbrandt all of a sudden. But I do think that she has some issues in terms of getting hit. And I think that Angela Hill will find that mark more often than not. And I think it might be a, you know, um, a TKO on the feet, whatever it may be. But once she starts feeling those shots from Angie, she's not going to like it. She's going to start showing desperation takedowns. She's not going to end up getting them. And then she's going to continue to get pieced up on the feet. So, yeah, your boy's taking a little bit of a shot on that plus 700, plus 850 KO prop on Angie Hill. But even just taking her straight here, I think you're getting some good value. And this is a solid test for Gibas, right? If she can't pass this, she's not going to be what she was made out to be uh, on this winning streak she had before running into Marina Rodriguez. So I like Hill here. She is my dog play. I'll let the half the battle know, uh, fighter or viewers know right off the bat. She is my dog of the night play. I got her at plus 160 um, a little bit earlier on in the week. But I, th I think this is a great fight for her, man. I mean, it might be. It might be. Um, I got a lot of questions because obviously we know Rebus. The chin's a little suspect, not just the Marina Rodriguez fight. Even Pollyanna Vienna also uh, knocked her out. So she's been knocked out more than once. It can happen again. But at the same time, just because she got knocked out last fight doesn't mean she's getting knocked out this fight. Um, I think that Marina Rodriguez, despite Angela Hill being, you know, she's definitely a better striker than she is a grappler. No, no, no one can debate that. I think Marina Rodriguez is on a different level. Like I can see Marina Rodriguez. She wins this fight. She wins one more. All of a sudden, she could be fighting for a title. Whereas, no disrespect to Angie, I, I don't ever see her in a title conversation ever. I mean, she's been losing a washed up fight. She lost to Claudia, who I'm not talking about. Claudia, you know, the one that fought Joanna twice. I'm talking about, you know, Claudia, who uh, has nothing past round one, and she still lost that third round, and she cries robbery every single fight. Um, she acted like she beat Yan Xiao Nan. I was like, wait, what? Like, how do you come to that conclusion? You lost 14 minutes of that fight. You had that little triangle attempt. Great job. Yan didn't tap. Yan survived. Aside from that, Yan won every minute of that fight. So I think Angie's a bit delusional. But granted, this ain't Yan and This ain't Marina Rodriguez. Um, Amanda Ribas is going to have to stay on that outside, throw kicks, do not mix, do not do not uh, exchange punches, and get this to the mat. Because one thing we know, Angie Hill, she, she has made improvements in her ground game, but that'll always be her weakness. And uh, I've seen fighters run through her on the man i'm not even just talking about rose nama Yunus back in the day what about what random marcos did to her man random marcos random marcos may it will look like fucking a future world champion against angela hill so i i just think that you know you were talking about the recency bias in the klein fight i think there's recency bias in rebos's last result because everyone parlayed her at a big price and lost and she was dominating that fight she got caught by one of the best strikers in the division listen i'm not gonna sit here and act like you know that, that chin is not suspect because it is it's been proven more than once so look angela you come out here you get this knockout good for you but banking on knockouts at straw weight i mean unless we're like even even like with my favorite strikers like yan Xiaonan, even even marina rodriguez who who did knock out um rebus it's like it's such a rare occurrence to see knockouts in this division. And I do think that if this plays out over 15 minutes, that Amanda Hibosh is going to be getting takedowns. I also am under the inclination that had that last fight not happened, but I don't like these hypotheticals because that last fight did happen. But had that last fight not happened, she'd be an even bigger favorite in this spot. So maybe it's a, a case of the market adjusting itself or 
Or maybe it's a little bit of recency bias because I know a lot of people are just head over heels in love with Angela Hill. They they buy the bullshit that she gets robbed every fight. But the reality of it is she starts off strong and then she does a little bit of that coast, man. She's got some coast in her. You saw that Michelle Watterson fight comes out hard. Those first two rounds takes off the next three cries robbery. A lot of these fights, the Claudia Gadelia fight, Claudia wins the first round. Angela wins the second round. Claudia wins the third round. Cries robbery. So there's not much accountability and we're not dealing with a young fighter. Angela's like 36. So I don't know how many more improvements we're going to see. So look, is there a possibility that, you know, she is one of the better strikers? Can she come out here, touch Rebus on that very sus chin? Yeah, maybe. That, I mean, I, I'm, I would not be surprised. I'd be more surprised if Angela submitted her, right? So yeah, maybe that could happen. I just think that Rebus is going to be able to mix in these takedowns and keep this on the mat and maybe not get a sub, but ride it out, get the decision win. I do want to input here. I've never been that huge on Hill. Like that's she's one person that I try to go out there and kind of fade on 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 occasion. Uh, but this one really really stood out to me, and I don't think it it's based on whether she gets a knockout here or not. I think she could go out there and touch her up for 15 minutes, just as you seem comfortable in thinking that Kivas can go out there and get takedowns and possibly control this for 15 minutes too. I think it could play out either side, but give me the plus money on Angela Hill, who seems to be a little bit more proven, and even pre Marina Rodriguez fight, right? Um. I still thought that there were some questionable uh, methods to uh, Amanda Hibas' striking game. So uh, I am still questioning it. And if you're giving me a, a tested striker here in Angela Hill, uh, I'm going to take the dog shot. And I'm hoping that Hill, you know, even if she doesn't get the knockout, just get the dub, baby. That's all I need. Just give me the dub. The the cherry on top would be the KO. But uh, I'm taking this uh, the dog shot here on Hill. And hopefully she can continue to expose that striking game of Hibas. Well, good luck to you. Uh, my boy Shaq took Rebas. Uh, let's see what happens. Main card time. Kicking off the main card. We got a matchup between... Oh, excuse me. Actually, that last fight was kicking off the main card. But next up on the main card, we got a matchup between Carlos Diego Ferreira. He's 17-3. and three. He's taking on... He's welcoming back Gregor Gillespie, who's 13-1, and one, to the UFC. Um, so right now, they got gregor gillespie minus 186 the comeback on carlos diego is plus 155 i love this matchup because you got one of the highest credentialed wrestlers um in gregor gillespie i mean his wrestling credentials are unmatched i mean not unmatched you know you know, I know jordan burroughs has something to say about that but you know what i'm saying in the yeah. ufc he's he's one of the highest credentialed wrestlers there is but he's taken on one of the highest <laughs> credentialed jujitsu practitioners in all of the UFC. And I mean, we were, you know, how I was talking about how, like, you know, Kyle Dawkins, yeah, you know, he's a black belt, but like there's black belts and then there's black belts. And Diego Ferreira, like, when I think about the best uh, jujitsu guys at lightweight, I mean, the, the, the only names that come to mind are Charles Oliveira, Diego Ferreira, and Benil Darius. Like, those are the, the, the big three. So, man, um, and oftentimes when you get these, these badass grapplers, they tend to stand and bang. And I know, I know Gregor's gotten a couple fight of the nights. I know he likes banging. I, I know Diego loves banging too. So how you see this one playing out? Uh, the one thing that continues to get overlooked in Gregor's last fight against Kevin Lee is the striking. Like, I thought I looked quite improved in that fight. His jab looked nasty. He was busting up Kevin Lee before he got his head kicked into the the, the stands, obviously. And a lot of people are going to continuously look at that. But uh, Gregor's wrestling, you, you can't deny it, man. The guy just continuously gets fighters to the ground. And he's not a lay in prayer. More often than not, he's getting the finish, whether it's, you know, sprawling these guys out on their back, getting the ground and pound, sinking in the choke, whatever it may be. The guy's very aggressive on the ground. 
But I think he's going to have trouble here with Carlos Diego Ferreira in terms of when he gets that takedown and trying to be aggressive off of it, uh, on top. Like, he has to be very careful. This is easily the best jiu-jitsu player that he's fought uh, in the UFC. This is a far cry from Yancy Medeiros and Jason Gonzalez. <laughs> so he's going to have to worry about, uh, you know, take uh, submissions coming off his back or reversals, whatever it may be. I do slightly question... Fajera's MMA jiu-jitsu. Like, sure, he's a great jiu-jitsu artist, very decorated, like you're saying, but he only has two submission victories in the UFC, Colton Smith and obviously um, Anthony Pettis, who's tapping to pretty much anybody nowadays, right? So I'm not saying that he can't go out there and submit Gregor Gillespie, uh, but I will say this. I think Gillespie is definitely one of the better if not the best wrestling jiu-jitsu player that we have in the UFC, right? The guy, you know, he knows what he's doing on top. He flows very well. He passes guard very well. Um, you know, I, I think he will be good enough on the, on top to nullify the submissions coming his way from uh, Diego here. Now on the feet, you know, Diego, he, he took on this new style ever since he became Fortis Fajera and just like marches guys down. We saw in the Mirbeck Tyson off fight. We saw it in that winning streak that he was on before he ran into Benio Darius for the second time. But he just puts a pace on guys that doesn't allow them getting their game going. Even Rustam Habilov, who had a who wanted to implement a similar game plan that when uh, Gregor Gillespie is going to be doing this weekend. But I think that we'll see Gregor be more successful in it. Um, I, I like the way he handled the Kevin Lee loss too, right? He's talking about, I would rather lose that way than get grinded out for 15 minutes by somebody because, you know, I could do something over 15 minutes rather than getting my lights turned off in, in a split second by Kevin Lee. Uh, he seems like he has a good head on his shoulder. He doesn't seem like a guy that's like, ultra invested in MMA. And I mean that in a good way because we know he has this fishing thing going on that he likes to, uh, you know, do in his pastime. And it's always good to have a fighter that, you know, is, 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 uh, admitting of that is honest about that that they they're not heavily invested in watching the ufc every weekend uh so th that's a good thing about gregor uh not to mention uh like his improved striking game and his ability to just get the fight to the mat and that benio darius fight right that's a huge red flag for uh anybody looking to uh bet diego Ferreira here uh darius was chain wrestling like a motherfucker and able to get these takedowns and who's a better chain wrestler than that guy that my guy gregor gillespie here so we know he's going to get the takedowns now you can say that benio darius has a has a definitely Definitely a grappling or jiu-jitsu advantage uh, compared to what Gregor Gillespie is going to be having here. Uh, but I still do think that it's serviceable from what we'll see in the jiu-jitsu realm from Gregor to be able to grind this fight out and get that decision. So I don't think we'll get a finish from Gregor this time around, which is where he mostly, more often not gets. Uh, but his cardio looks good. We've seen him in third rounds. He's able to get the, you know, a solid amount of gas out there and able to actually uh, maintain his opponent's uh, positions and stuff. And I think he'll be able to do that here against Diego Ferra, who I think might start to slow down in that third round, just as he did in the Benio Darius fight. So he's going to be dealing with a lot of pressure here from Gregor. I'm going with Gregor. I think he's a pretty good spot on this card. Uh, and yeah, I'll take him to grind this fight out. So you said that uh, Pettis is tapping out to anyone these days. You know that's his only submission loss, right? Was it not? I swear he got tapped out by... Um... No, I mean, the Poirier thing was more of an injury. Ah, uh, yeah, you're right. And still, we know Pettis gives up his back more often than not. Like When you're giving up your back to a guy like Diego Ferreira, he can't be cutting it in the UFC anymore. You know what I mean? Uh, Here's the whole thing about, but he only has got two subs. Yes, but look how he uses his jujitsu in fights. The Rustam Habilov fight. I mean, had there been two more seconds in that round, you saw that nasty choke he had on Rustam Habilov. You see the kind of the way he uses his jujitsu to get back up to his feet. And this whole thing about uh, Benil chain wrestling, like on paper, you just look at the numbers. Oh, he landed all these takedowns, but you actually watch what happened in that fight. And like Benil had to swim through some shit 
to to grapple with this guy, and he couldn't hold him down either. Diego was getting back up, and also that Uma Plata attempt in round one, like you have to be a serious jujitsu practitioner to escape something like that, which Benil is. Like Benil, like has been a jujitsu. Benil was a jujitsu legend before he was even a fighter. I mean, you remember the match he had with Crone Gracie back in the day, like that got Benil his name on the jujitsu scene. So. I'm not convinced Gregor can swim through this stuff, actually. And Gregor, I respect him, of course, just like I respect anyone that steps in there, but more so, you know, his wrestling credentials. He's a fantastic uh, athlete, martial artist, this and that. But I think he's massively overrated, man. I I remember him going 50-50 with a bum named Jason Gonzalez. Like, they got fight of the night. Dude, you should not be getting fight of the night with guys like Jason Gonzalez. Like, whereas Diego is going 50-50 with Benil Darius, who's like top five on planet Earth. So I just think there's a completely different level here. If they choose to stand, look, Gregor, he's got some decent hands. Um, I'd don't necessarily think he was looking that great against Kevin Lee until he got caught. He landed a couple jabs against a guy who doesn't move his head, but he was also eating a couple shots too prior to the kick. Um, but Diego, his boxing has gotten better. You saw him outbox Tysima for three rounds. You saw uh, what he did to Pettis, not just on the ground, but on the feet as well. And the Benil fight, he rocked Benil a couple times. I think Diego's on a completely different level than Gregor. I'm questioning Gregor big time. You hear his interviews and... He might be a bit of a head case and listen, all due respect. But if you like actually read up on his history, like, you know, he's a bit of a madman and that, you know, it's not just the, you know, the credentialed wrestling. Like he, he stopped competing in, in athletics for a while. Cause he was, you know, the dude, the dude's a head case. I'm telling you this right now. We haven't seen him since the Kevin Lee fight and he got fucking blown out the water. The one time he fought a top 15 guy, like he, he didn't, he didn't just, you know, I, I disagree with him saying that, like, oh, I would have rather got knocked out the way I did than lose a, a three-round decision. I'm like, really? You'd rather take that much brain damage? Because, you know, when you get knocked out like that, it becomes much easier to get knocked out again. I think people are riding Gregor's dick in a way where, I, to this day, I've never seen anything like it. Like, going into the Kevin Lee fight, everyone was betting Gregor. Gregor doesn't just lose. He gets killed, and now everyone's still on him. I think this is the best jujitsu guy in the division besides Benil and Charles. Um, and I actually think that Saturday night live at the apex that, uh, that Diego Ferreira is going to be the first man in MMA history to submit Gregor Gillespie. And it's going to be a huge deal. It's going to be a performance of the night. It's going to be something that people are talking about. Might be a hot take, but I don't see Diego getting laid on by, by anybody. I mean, yeah, was was Benil able to get takedowns? Yes, but was he able to hold him down? No, he didn't hold he didn't hold him down at all, man. That fight got fight of the night for a reason. Let me ask you something. Since when do people get fight of the night for holding someone down? Ever? Never? Like never? So people need to really put context into what they're saying. I, I get you go to ufcstats.com, you see that he landed a couple takedowns. Oh, he landed takedowns. Therefore, the credentialed wrestlers definitely landing takedowns. But why do you think they won fight of the night? Because the scrambles when those takedowns happen, the stand-up exchanges. This was a real war. This was an unbelievable fight. And I'm not convinced that Gregor can go with a guy that can match him, not not, not in the wrestling department, but the grappling, the stand-up, that a guy that is hungrier than him. Because um, like I said, you're going back and forth with Jason Gonzalez. You're putting the crowd to sleep against Yancey Medeiros and Vince Pichel. Like, this is just a different level, man. And I already have proof that Diego can handle good wrestlers. Look what he did to Rustam Habilov, man. Like, uh, yeah, he might not be a D1 wrestler, but he's a Sambo, uh, a world Sambo champion, right? So it's like it just as good in my eyes. And 
Plus, I mean, look at what Habib did to Gaethje. The reason I brought that up, you know, Sambo versus D1. Anyways, um, I'm going with Diego Ferreira via submission here. Um, I think that he's going to shock a lot of people. I think people are sleeping on him big time. And in addition to that, I think they're overrating Gregor. Now, this is this might be a hot take, so maybe I'm dead wrong. Maybe Gregor lays on him and, you know, does his best ditch effort to make him take plan B the next day. But I just think that laying on a guy like Diego Ferreira, like, 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 why, why go into his world, man? This is not just your average jujitsu guy who, you know, will throw up one triangle. That doesn't work. All right, now we're gassed out. Now, now, now just lay on me. Like, this is a guy going for shit that you don't see other people go for. I mean, like I said, Benil had to swim through some attacks that I'm not convinced 90% of the lightweight division can swim through. Um, you know, especially that that first Uma Plata attempt. I was like, God damn. And the way he uses his submission attempts to get back up to his feet. I'm blown away by this guy. So I'm going Diego Ferreira here for the upset. And uh, let's uh, let's see what happens, man. I I'm very excited about this fight, my friend. I'll say I'll say one thing. I was more confident in Gregor Gillespie against Brad Riddell than I am with him here yes. against against uh, yes. Diego Ferreira. I'll definitely say that because again, Gregor's uh, advantage in more often than not in his fights is taking the fight to the ground. Whereas with uh, Brad Riddell, you know, you, you could nullify the striking advantage that Brad Riddell had by taking him to the ground here. And now he's going into Diego Ferreira's world. So yeah, it's a little bit more of a sweat than it would have been against Brad Riddell. But I do think that we'll see improvements here from Gregor. I do think we'll see him get into the ground. And I was, again, I was on Diego Ferreira last time around against Benio Darius. And I was very underwhelmed with his ability to, one, un unable to stop takedowns. Like you said, he was able to get back to his feet. But I do think that we'll get better top pressure here from Gregor. Uh, again, being the better wrestler than uh, Benio Darius. And we've seen him hold down guys in the past. And again, he possibly might impregnate fucking uh, Diego Ferreira. <laughs> Had this weekend with the, with that top pressure, but I do think that we'll see him uh, stay out of the way out of the big uh, big submission attempts. And even if Diego Ferreira, you know, throws those submission attempts to get back to the feet, I believe in the cardio and I believe in the wrestling of uh, Gregor to continue to get this fight back to the ground. So as long as he doesn't shoot a desperation takedown and get his neck uh, 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 grabbed up by um, or snatched up here by Ferreira. I think that we'll see uh, a pretty solid performance from Gregor. I don't mind the confidence on your side from Diego Ferreira. I completely see it too. Again, I was big on Fortis Ferreira. That was my dude. But uh, with Gregor here, I think I think that we might be on opposite sides in terms of what his ceiling is. And this is a great fight for us to totally find it out. I mean, you shouldn't write him off just because he lost to a, a, a guy that arguably had his number, a guy that beat him six years prior, um, and sure. a guy who Thank has you. the jujitsu credentials to grapple with someone like Diego Ferreira. Now, I 100% agree with you. This is uh, the Brad Riddell fight. I was like, wait, you're telling me an Aussie striker is fighting a D1 champion? Like, I was like, oh, right, boys? Yeah. Like, I was, I was fucking, I was like, dude, like, that was the that was the best possible matchup for Gregor. I was like, yeah. wow, Gregor, you're getting back on track, and this is going to be a good win because Brad Riddell's got a lot of respect. Like, I was very confident uh, Gregor was going to beat Riddell. This ain't no Brad Riddell. You yeah. take Brad Riddell down, you know, go ahead and fucking and get the plan B the next day. But <laughs> listen, all I got to say this, if Gregor Gillespie can neutralize Diego Ferreira on the mat and like, let's say the crowd starts booing, let's say everyone says it's a boring fight, I will get up and clap <laughs> if, if Gregor Gillespie can do that to a guy like Diego. But that's just the kind of regard I have for Diego's jujitsu. Um, so let's see what happens, man. Like I picked Benny to beat Diego just because you know, I saw what happened the first time they fight, they fought and, and just some, some certain people have certain people's numbers. And it was so much closer than the first time, man. Like the first time they fought was 30, 27. This time was a split decision, it, but it's a different matchup. And again, like 
sorry to keep you know fucking going on because like watch you know if i'm wrong on this one y'all gonna take these clips <laughs> post them all over the internet it's all good um Benil has the jujitsu to swim through those attacks that a guy like Rustam Habilov couldn't swim through. That a guy like Pettis, we can say what we want. Pettis is still a black belt. He couldn't swim through. I'm not convinced that Gregor has that in him. I know his wrestling credentials, but we're talking about elite wrestling versus elite jujitsu. Um, like for example, when I was talking about Haas and Dacus, I keep going back to it. You know, Haas is an elite wrestler, D1. But I kind of view, you know, Doc is as kind of like an a, a, just average athlete, average black. But whereas like with Diego, I'm like, yo, you don't don't fucking jump in the water and swim with the shark is, is what I'm trying to say. But let's see what happens. Maybe I'm dead wrong on this one. I, I can't fucking wait. It's a great fight. <laughs> now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Maurice, the crochet boss green. He's nine and five. Oh, he's only nine and five. For some reason, I thought he had more fights than that. Uh He's second on Marcos Rogerio de Lima Pezao, who's 17 and 7. Oh, and by the way, Shaq uh, took CDF in that last one. Currently, they got Marcos Rogerio de Lima Pezao, minus 190. The comeback on Maurice Green is plus 165. I'm going to let you go first. Look, man, Marcos Rogerio on the feet. I mean, Brazilian bruiser kicks like a truck and knock people out. On the mat, however, uh, we'll tap out the shit that's not even locked in. Maurice Green, very tall, has got good volume, questionable chin, um, sometimes questionable decision-making, but I heard he took some time off after the last fight. He said he put on some size. Let's see if it makes a difference who you got. Yeah, if you do take a quick skim of uh, Maurice Green's IG, you see him a little bit, uh, you know, more muscular, more uh, in shape than we've seen him in the past. But this this is dumpster fire number two. If you guys remember me talking about that Linz and Rothwell fight, this is another fight where, like, you could get absolute heat from Delima in that first round. But if he's not able to get Green out of there, second and third rounds are going to look really, really rough for him. And say what you want about Maurice Green. Everybody wants to shut on him. You know, the guy that openly smokes cigarettes and all that type of shit, especially on the Ultimate still, Fighter show. I think he does. I think he does. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure about that. But regardless, uh, you know, a lot of people like to hate on him. But the guy is decent. He's decent enough to beat Hajara Delima outside of round one. Because I think that we'll see Delima bomb on him in round one. You know, big leg kicks. That's something I feel he should implement pretty much immediately. If he can just chop down those legs of green uh, within the first couple minutes of this fight, he can let his hands go and find that big punch to, to knock him down. Remember when Maurice Green got knocked down by that wild overhand right by fucking Juan Espino on the Ultimate Fighter? That's like the only time we've ever seen Espino throw some hats. Like, obviously, he looked a little bit better in the Alexander Romanov fight in terms of the striking round. But Maurice Green will get hit by some random ass shit like that. And you don't want to get hit out, hit by some random ass shit by a guy like Delima in that first round. So my, my pick's going to be Delima in round one plus 150. But... By no way am I putting any serious money on this fight. Like, if anybody's going to the betting window and betting minus one ninety, even the money line on Delima here, I got I got to question your ethics. I gotta I gotta look at your bank account and see what the fuck kind of decisions you've been making in the past because this is not a type of fight that you want to put serious money on. Uh, again, if this fight reaches that five minute mark, you're gonna be sweating that Delima ticket hard. Um, Maurice Green, again, long, like you said, rangy, uses his kicks every now and then to kind of maintain his distance, but still almost Stefan Struvesque with his uh, distance management. And that's an issue here against a guy like Delima who lands big power. Even in the minimal time the fight with Romanov was on the feet, he's on some big shots against Romanov, man. He was landing some really good shots. Um, but again, it's the leg kick, man. I think that if he can do that right off the bat, he's going to give some big, big trouble to Green and, and put him out quickly. But I am staying the fuck away from this fight because I 
want no stake in this investment at all. Uh, if this was lock of the night 2020, I'd be hammering that under one and a half. But I've learned my lesson. I'm not trusting uh, low level heavyweights with my money anymore. And this is one of those positions where I'm like, it's just stay back. But in terms of a prediction, putting a gun to my head, I'd rather have my money on Delima than actually have it on green here. Yeah, uh, Shaq's with you on Delima. So this is tough because it's like Marcos Ogeri, like I said, Brazilian bruiser, hits very hard. Um, his kicks, his punches, the whole bit. He can knock a lot of people out, but very suspect on the mat. And it's one of those things where I, I don't think it's a case where he like skips jujitsu practice. I think it's more of a, a case where like he panics when uh, when he hits the mat. Um, and actually his last fight was an improvement because he didn't tap out. He actually went to sleep for the first time, whereas prior in his career, he'd tap out the shit that's not even locked in. So good for you, my uh, my man. Um, but like I remember cashing on guys like Antigulov against him. Like, And you, you see what's happened to Antigulov. I remember yeah. cashing on Krylov against this guy. Um, I cashed on Romanov against this guy. So I've cashed on him many, many times. And Maurice Green, I've... I've actually cashed on him too against Volante. As soon as I saw Volante at the weigh-ins, I ran to the betting window and bet uh, Maurice Green. I, I didn't realize that uh, Volante was doing six months. You know what I'm saying? So it was one of those things where we had to take advantage and it still got sketchy. Um, Maurice Green, he's got like potential. Like I like his volume. I like the length. I like um, he mixes it up. Like I like that he fights like a long man. Just sometimes when he gets clipped on the chin, he goes down. And I also like his su opportunistic submission ability from time to time. He's got five submissions on his record. You don't often see heavyweights coming out here, getting triangles and stuff among those lines. So it's tough because like I definitely see him getting busted up in the early going. But like if, if he can get this to the mat somehow, I'm not sure how, like because his takedown ability ain't the best. So like I agree with De Lima being favored, but I kind of I kind of want to go with the dog here. I just I'm just having a hard time visualizing it because he doesn't go for takedowns. He might get busted up, but like I could see like Rogerio taking him down and then getting triangled. I could see Rogerio slipping and then Maurice getting on top. Like I could see something happening along the way where Marcos fucks this up and Maurice comes out here and finishes him. Like, you remember when Marcos fought Stefan Struve, which seemed like the easiest fight at the time, like goes out there 10, eight rounds him in the, in the first and then gets submitted in the second. So Marcos is a stunt machine. So don't be surprised if he pulls another one J just because it's like a big dog price. I'm going to go with uh, Maurice Green here to submit uh, Marcos. I love that you brought up the Stefan Struve fight because remember the first thing that happened in that fight? Literally the dropped first him. punch. Dropped <laughs> him. The first punch. He drops him with a big shot. I can see the same thing happening here where he just throws that big first punch overhand right, lands clean on the chin of green and maybe uh, drops him to the ground and gets some ground and pound or someone off like that. But yeah, that this fight, highly volatile. Uh, God be with anybody that wants to put money on this fight. Featured bout in the welterweight division. We got Neil, the Haitian sensation Magni. He's 24 and 8. He's taking on Jeff Hands of Steel, Neil, who's 13 and 3. We're going to call them uh, Magni and Jeff. <laughs> yes. All right. Sir. Magni and Jeff. Right there with you. Because no more Neil and Neil. Fuck that. Magni and Jeff. Currently, they got Jeff minus 190 and Magni plus 165. So, I mean, listen. I think that Jeff Neal is definitely the hot prospect. I think Jeff Neal is the one that a lot of people have high hopes for, but Mag Magni is a test, man. Like 
Magny's one of those guys you sleep on. Magny, he comes out here, he gets these upsets. Remember when he beat Kelvin Gastelum uh, in Mexico in 2015? Like, remember that three fight win streak he was just on? Like, Li Jing Liang just beat Zaleski and then looks like dog shit against uh, Neil Magny. The ghost of Robbie Lawler was out there trying to wrestle. Like, okay, why do these strikers come out here and gas themselves out trying to wrestle Neil Magny? Like, Li Jing Liang, what's <laughs> Li Jing Liang been known for his entire career? That destructive one punch knockout power. What is uh, Robbie Lawler known for? That insane one-punch knockout power. These guys are out here shooting takedowns like one minute into the fight, gassing themselves out like they couldn't deal with the range or anything. It's like, you think Jeff's going to fight characteristically, use that speed, stay on the outside, and then, you know, blitz in with these big, fast combos? Or you think that Magni might be live for a little upset here like he has been many times? I'm on the Magni train once again, man. And I thought I thought to myself after that Kiesa lost, I'll never bet on Magni again. But if you give me a, a stylistic matchup that he can go out there and exploit somebody, I think this is the matchup for him uh, against Goff. If you want to go with Goff as well, but with, with Jeff here, I think that, <laughs> with uh, with Jeff, we we know that he needs his his space to really get his game going, right? Like his striking is obviously his bread and butter. Has some good combinations, has some good striking. But Neil Magni's game is just stay in front of your face, jab you to death try to clinch you up against the cage get some takedowns if you can get takedowns but if that doesn't come just just kind of uh, you know uh clinch fuck you essentially uh, another fighter that you brought up that chose to grapple with magni and start striking with him was uh, anthony roco martin that was the second fight yep. and that three fight winning streak he was on him for some reason he just wanted to clinch uh with magni and magni was able to you know dig the underhooks change the position and get his strikes off too but magni has that like uh, some people were giving my guy Clint some shit for saying this when I did the podcast with him on Monday, but they said he has an Usman-esque approach with his fights. And I agree to that with his, to a uh, certain extent. Obviously, with Usman, you got a grapple-heavy approach, right? He has a wrestling to lean on, and he can uh, kind of get it on you with that type of pressure. With Magni, it's more so just stay in your face and you know always pressure. That's what Usman's known for that forever pressure that just staying in your face and not letting you breathe. That's what Magni does, but with striking and with clinching and if he can get takedowns, sure he can do it with takedowns. You see this guy, you know, halfway taking a guy to the ground has a heavy wizard and just punching the guy in the face with his other hand, just because he wants to remain active. And when he starts putting this pace on guys, they they just can't keep up with him. Now let's talk about his knockout losses, right? Ponzinibbio chopped down his legs for three and a half rounds then finished him in the fourth round. Uh, Lorenz Larkin chopped his legs down for four minutes and then finished him at the end of that first round if jeff neal comes out here and starts throwing leg kicks okay i'm gonna be sweating my neo magni ticket a little bit but you know uh, uh, jeff has some good kicks and great head kicks and all that but he's not really a, a leg kicker per se he's not a, a calf kicker like these other guys were and um I would trust a guy like Safe Sayud as his head co coach to kind of implement that kind of game. But if we don't see it from the past, how can we truly say that he's going to go out there and do it in this matchup? With Magni, I think we're going to see him stick in his face, stick that jab out, don't let him get comfortable. Uh, I know Bilal Muhammad is 0 of 6 on takedowns against Jeff. Jeff has a 92% takedown defense rate, which is great. But I don't think that uh, Jeff, uh, sorry, uh, Magni needs to actually get the takedowns here to be successful. He can just clinch fuck him and, and push him against the cage. He's a big dude. I believe he's going to have a three-inch height and reach advantage, if I'm not mistaken, or at least a five-inch reach advantage. 
it's going to be Magny staying on the outside, jabbing him to death, or staying all the way inside, clinching him, pushing him up against the cage, and putting that patented Magny pressure on him. So I think that this is a horrible stylistic matchup for Jeff if if he's not able to maintain his distance. Unfortunately for Jeff, he was in a very bad stylistic matchup last time around against Wonderboy as well. And this is another veteran lesson that I think that's going to be uh, handed out. One we're getting from Angela Hill earlier in the card, and another one we're getting here with, uh, with uh, Neil Magny. So uh, I'm going to go with Magny. I'm going to go with him to win by decision uh but i think he just i it just pressures jeff keeps it on him doesn't let him breathe doesn't let him get, get his shots off and historically speaking i think that uh, uh magni is quite uh durable with his chin it was just those literally those those leg kicks that allowed the guys uh, to get their punches going and then obviously finish him that way. Uh, and then obviously the only other times he's been finished was by submission, right? You got Rafael Dos Santos, you got or Dos Anjos, you got uh, Damian Maya. Are we expecting grappling? Are we expecting a grapple-heavy approach like Michael Chiesa from Jeff Neal here? Probably not. I'd be surprised. I'm sure you'd be surprised too if we saw that. But uh, I- I'm going Magni here. I'm going to go decision. I mean, he has been dropped a couple of times. I remember my boy Kelvin Gaslam dropped him in that fight that he lost. Um, but one thing I really respect about uh, Neil Magny is his fight IQ because in that fight against uh, Tony Martin, so one thing that Tony was known for, or Rocco, uh, was that was those calf kicks, right? And then Neil, as soon as the fight uh, starts off, he comes out southpaw. And I know that fucked with Tony Martin right away. It was like, damn, we've been training this whole camp to get off on south on, on leg kicks, and now this guy's going southpaw on us. And then he starts trying to wrestle, then he gasses out. So, like, Neil has a way of making guys look really bad. And you start to gas out against the guy like Neil Magny, and he's going to put it on you in a way where you're going to get embarrassed. So, you. I respect him a lot. Um, it, it's just with Neil, I have a lot with, with Jeff Neil. I have a lot of questions. Here are my questions about Jeff Neil. He almost fucking died. Okay. Yeah. He had heart failure, sepsis, and some other shit. And we we've only seen him back once since, and he got thoroughly dominated that one time back. So, on one hand, Wonder Boy is just a tough ass matchup for a lot of people. So may, maybe we can throw that on the back burner but on the other hand i haven't seen jeff you know be be the old jeff i know and love since that shit went down so like is he still the same guy like because if he is still the same guy i think he's going to come out here and put it on neil magny because we talk about the volume of magny uh jeff actually throws more than neil we talk about um the length Jeff is so fast that I think he's a guy that can actually maneuver around the the length of Magni, get on the inside and land his shots. And then the leg kick part, I mean, traditionally he hasn't been throwing too many leg kicks, but if Neil comes out southpaw here and it's southpaw versus southpaw, then I do think the leg kicks will be open. So I'm curious to see how uh, how, uh, Magni comes out. Um, It's tough because I've made a lot of money fading Magni and I've lost a lot of money fading Magni. Like, Ponzinibbio was one of the biggest bets I've ever made, right? But then the next three fights all lost, right? So it's one of those things where Neil can be tough to count out, and sometimes he can teach these young up-and-comers a very valuable life lesson, and maybe he does that here. But I just know that the only thing that's that's making me hesitant is Jeff's near-death experience and Jeff's last fight. Um, and had the near-death experience never happened, then maybe his last fight wouldn't be as big of a concern. But because both things happen, I'm just kind of questioning where Jeff's at right now. But if Jeff is anything like the the hot prospect that I said was going to go on to be a top 10 guy and be a top 5 guy, 
then I think he's got the speed. I think he's got the power. And honestly, don't don't sleep on his grappling either. I know you remember that Nico Price fight. He was out there landing some very nice body lock takedowns. We know that the body lock takedown is one that Magny has struggled with historically in the past. Um, so it's not you don't just have to leg kick Neil Magny to beat him. There's other ways too. I'm gonna go with Jeff Neal here. I got to. I think he's the better fighter. I think he projects to go further. It's just again. Like I, I'm repeating myself, he almost died, and then he got thoroughly outclassed his his first fight back from that. So, you know, how how's he doing upstairs mentally? How's he doing physically? Are we dealing with the same guy? Because if we are dealing with the same guy, I got Jeff Neal here to get it done. So I'm hoping we are, because it'd be so sad for a career that's so promising to be derailed, man. Like I, I'd hate to see that, man. Like, listen, we root for guys to win, we root for guys to lose, but we never. We never root for anyone to have a serious injury ever. Like Chris Weidman, I bet on Uriah Hall plus one twenty five, and I, I like when I cash a bet, I you know I get excited, but like I, I wasn't happy about that. Like I, I like you know there there's things more important than money, right? So you know we want to see guys win and lose, but we don't want to see guys get hurt. So I hope that Jeff Neal is in good health, and also shout out to Weidman, man, make make a speedy recovery because it's like you know how brutal we get on this show. We talk about how you know this and that, but like. When guys are at the point that Weidman's at now, you know, close to retirement, now we don't we don't need we don't need to talk about his last few fights getting knocked out. Now we talk about what he accomplished. Now we talk about the fact that he was the guy that dethroned Anderson Silva back when Anderson was untouchable. He was the guy that beat Vitor and Machida, defended the belt three times. Like that's what we that's what I talk about now when I talk about Weidman. Now if Weidman decides to fight again, then I can be brutal again. But right now I consider him a retired fighter, so I only honor what a great career he had. And same thing with Jeff Neal, man. Like, um, I just, I just hope he's healthy, man. I just hope that he's the same guy. Because if he is, I think he wins this fight. I'm gonna predict he wins this fight. But again, like, if if Jeff is a little gun shy and and Neal starts, uh, you know, pumping that jab out there, starts getting long with him, uh, starts letting him know that hey, I've had over 20 UFC fights, then maybe he's live for the upset. But I'm gonna have to go with the guy who I was very high on, and I'm just hoping that he's in good health and can get it done. So I'm gonna go with Jeff Neal here. Can we just get, yeah. Can we just give a quick shout out to uh, Neil Magny for sneakily being 33 years old while seeming to be in the UFC for fucking ever. Right. The guy, I think he made his UFC debut in 2012 off the ultimate fighter, but how is he only 33? For some reason, I was thought I thought he'd be up at like 36 or 37 years old, but he's crafted out himself a pretty good UFC career over this time, pulling the upset when a lot of people didn't think he would. Would And even though he might not sniff a title shot or anything like that, he is like the ultimate gatekeeper in a sense that he will take on these high-level guys, these hot prospects like Jeff Neal, and he'll let them know, like, I'm going to let you through the gate or I'm going to shut it in your face. So hopefully, for my sake and for my betting ticket, he shuts the face on Jeff Neal this, this weekend. Definitely, definitely. Um, wish both guys the best. I mean, I know Neil Magny is a guy that saved his money. So, you know, very smart. A lot of people should learn from that. Fighters or not fighters. When you get that money, it's not about how much you got. It's about how much you save. Yeah. My dad always told me, you're not a millionaire unless you have a million dollars. And what that means is you can get that million, but you start blowing it on cars, houses, this and that. You ain't a millionaire anymore. You're only a millionaire if you have a million dollars. So life lesson. Cold main event of the evening. We got the legend, Donald Cowboy Cerrone. He's 36 and 15. He's taking on Alex Marano, who's 18 and 7. Currently, they got Donald Cowboy Cerrone minus 190. The comeback on Alex Marano is plus 165. I'm going to tell you all Shaq's pick. I was very surprised. Shaq is on Marano. I was like, wait. I was like, did, did that fucking <laughs> scratch cornea fuck you up that much? No, I'm just kidding. But I was actually surprised. But look, 
I understand this is Cowboys retirement fight. It's probably not. You know, Cowboys going to keep fighting for another 10 years. But I understand this is supposed to be his retirement fight. I understand that he hasn't had the best results as of late. But I also understand that there's levels to this shit. And for Alex Morano to beat a guy like Cowboy Cerrone, it's going to take one of the biggest declines. Like, it's going to have to be like, like, holy shit, Cowboy's so done. Because, like, I understand Cowboy. It used to be a case where you have to be a top five guy or better to beat Cowboy Cerrone. That used to be the case. But now, you know, that's not quite the case anymore. You know, he's going to a draw with a guy like Nico Price, who I have all the respect in the world for. Nico Price also knocked out Morano. But, what, what I'm trying to say is that now guys in the top 15, top 25 can give them tough fights too. Thing is, Alex Morano ain't exactly a top 25 guy. We're dealing with a top 50 guy. So I still think there's levels to this shit, man. And the thing I like about Morano, he's aggressive. He wings big, big bombs. He's got some nice spins. Allegedly a black belt in jujitsu too. I have seen some <laughs> nice stuff. He can't get up from bottom though. Again, there's black belts and there's black belts. He ain't a black belt like his teammate Diego Ferreira. You know, that's for sure. It's more like a black belt like Dacus, you know? So he's an average black belt. No big deal. Um, look, Cerrone's better across the board, man. I mean, that Muay Thai style that is... I know he gets criticized for his head movement, but sometimes he's been moving that head and some of these combinations that he lands, man, that sneaky lead uppercut, the high kick, the leg kicks. He's got a really underrated blast double that he hits on a lot of the people that he fights. Um, and Morano can't get up from bottom. It's just a thing of like, Donald, are you done to a point where you're going to lose to a guy that couldn't even fucking hold a candle to you like a year ago? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like this line would have been like minus 350 a year or two ago. So I, and I'm, I, I like Murano. I respect him. You know, I cashed a max bet um, with him um, against uh, Josh Berkman back in the day. So I, I got all the respect for Murano. He comes to fight every single time, win, lose or draw. So hell yeah. There's levels to this shit, though. And Cerrone's on a completely different level. Striking, grappling, uh, cardio. Cardio, too, right? Size, everything, experience. Like, it's just... Cowboys should absolutely outclass this guy unless he's... Unless we're talking, like, Chuck Liddell level done, which I just don't think. You just went to a draw with Nico Price and won the third round. So, look, the guys in the top 15, top 20 are going to give Cowboy problems at this point. I don't think Morano is one of those guys. I respect Morano. I think he's going to come to fight. I think he's going to come out hard that first round. But I think Cowboy is going to – I think Cowboy's got a little something for him. The blast double, the high kick, and then down the stretch when Morano starts to gas, Bobrecito, man, I think he's in big trouble. I got Donald Cowboy throwing it to get this done, man. Let's just quickly talk about the semantics of this fight, right? Cowboy was scheduled to fight Diego Sanchez. He Oops. was in a training camp for this fat fight. Um, and then Morono was taking this fight on short notice. He's jumping on the and I'm um, in the but the Fordist bus with uh, Jeff Neal and uh, and uh, Carlos Diego Ferreira to to just take part in the the fights this weekend. Shout out to him for making 170 on short notice. But uh, yeah, you're you're absolutely right, man. I think Cowboy hasn't covered pretty much everywhere unless we see a massive decline. Unless we see Alex Morono go out there and start him at the beginning of fights, which a lot of people have been able to do but in the last fight against nico price i was very impressed with uh cowboy's uh durability and ability to to remain calm in that uh initial exchange where nico price was just absolutely unloading on him with some elbows and he landed some good shots they seemed clean but cowboy just kept it together and he was able to you know get get the better of uh uh himself actually to, to actually stay in that fight 
obviously ends up going on to i thought he lost that fight to say what you want about the point being taken away i thought he lost that fight but he should still go out there and beat a guy like alex morono morono came into the ufc and i thought this was a guy that was gonna use his black belt and try to get you know lock up all these submissions just never goes for takedowns until he fought reese mckee then he goes out there and finally goes uh, goes for a takedown uh and he did the same thing with uh pettis did get his back and didn't submit him again another flub on my part saying that pettis is a fish out of water on his back say what you want about his jiu-jitsu game from earlier in his ufc career but it's definitely not the same uh, later in his ufc career but uh, with cowboy here i think he just lands a couple takedowns here even on the feet if this fight stays on the feet i think he can go out there and absolutely outstrike morono morono seems one of those guys that throws not the most technical strikes but just throws absolute power hoping to hurt his opponents and then kind of pounce on them from there um and i think that's more so to do like with the haniyaya approach which is i'm just gonna throw big shots on the feet and if you take me take me down my black belt should bail me out but doesn't bail him out <laughs> that's the issue here and uh cowboy sword may not be a black belt uh you know on materialistically but we know that the guy is actually uh, a legitimate jujitsu threat he has a ton of submissions yeah. on his record uh you know he, he's always chasing it um you know one of the better club and sub guys out there right uh unfortunately he didn't choose to club and sub alexander hernandez when i had a huge freaking take on him to win by submission in that fight chose to just absolutely pound that kid out after all this uh, shit Dude, he, he was a plus 180 dog why don't you just take him straight well i took him straight too but i just mean for the sprinkle oh, okay. i took the sub prop too right but it would have been nice it was it was kind of like when i took tyron willie to win by knockout over darren till and he fucking pulls out a dart stroke out of his ass for some reason but but in this fight with cowboy and and, and morono yeah you have it covered man he has him covered everywhere striking as long as he doesn't get starched in that first round as long as his durability and his chin holds up um i think he has nothing to worry about outside of two minutes in this fight and then he should be able to cruise the rest of it so i'll give it up for morono's durability i would say that cowboy wins this fight via decision but it could potentially give us one of those rick story type combination knockouts because alex morono is just not that good on the feet so cowboy should cruise here I like that he's working with John Ward. I like that he moved his stuff up to Syndicate MMA, ditched the BMF ranch. He wants to like end his career on a high note, and this should give us a, a solid performance from Cowboy. And I think he wins this fight by decision. I know we say we got to watch out those first two minutes because you know he's historically a slow starter. But like, is like Alex Mono some demon in those first two? You're minutes right. You're right. Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know. I mean, he was against Josh Berkman. That's why I had a max bet on him. But this ain't no fucking Josh Berkman. So, no. and no disrespect to Berkman, the former WSOF champ. Remember when he choked out Fitch? But yeah, we deal with we deal with it uh, where they're at in their current respective careers. And again, Cowboys at the end, but he's still having draws with with hungry young guys that have knocked out Moran. I mean, it's just it's just a different level. So let's see what happens. I got uh, Cerrone. So yeah, main event of the evening. In the flyweight divisions, two strawweights moving up. Flyweight, we got Marina Rodriguez. She's 13-1 and one in two, two draws in there. She's taking on Michelle, the karate hottie Watterson, who's 18-8. and eight. Currently, they got Marina minus 200. The comeback on Michelle Watterson is plus 170. So, man, it sucks she's minus 200 because I remember the days when I was cashing, like, I think it was like plus 160 Marina against Tisha Torres. So, it's too bad that, you know, she's such a big favorite here. I mean, look. With Michelle Watterson, it's always been the same thing. She's got the the sidekick, the head and arm throw, and she's extremely good looking. That those are the three things she's got uh, going for her, man. And you know, I, I know I'm playing around. She has mixed in other kinds of takedown attempts, and her hands are getting a little bit better too. And she's got the main event experience now. She even took Joanna's back. Like, hey, that was pretty badass. So it's like, 
Marina, how long are you going to keep this standing for? Uh, how long uh, until, you know, Karate Hottie comes out here with one of those judo throws and, and you know, takes you down? But the thing is, this is a five-round fight, so it's going to take three judo throws to win this fight, not just <laughs> not one or two, right? Or, or maybe Michelle can, you know, hip toss her and then take her back and choke her out. That that's that that's the one thing I'm worried about. But like this going the distance, I mean, obviously, I know for those that don't know, Marina Rodriguez, very very high level striker in that in that division for that division standards. Uh, you saw the knockout against Hebas. All these fights, no no one's out here winning stand up exchanges against Marina Rodriguez, and I consider her to be up there with Yan Xiao Nan and even uh, the champ Rose is one of the top strikers in the division. So I think that Marina Rodriguez, she she's fantastic. It's just. Can can we like work on our wrestling this much? Like like why why haven't we moved to Alpha Male in California yet? Why aren't we working with those guys every single day? Like why aren't we trying to like why don't we have the initiative to to get out our comfort zone and nip this problem in the bud? It's not a money issue. She got fifty k here last fight, man. Like it ain't a money issue. So I just I just want to see Marina do what's best for her career because I have high hopes for her, man. I think her striking is some of the best I've seen in that division. And I think that she can go far. Um, and I think she's got the toughness as well. You saw that third round against Cynthia Calvillo. A lot of girls. Yeah. Pollyanna Botelio is out here tapping out to no hooks, rear naked chokes, whereas Marina took that beating like, uh, you know, I'd say took it like a man. But Marina <laughs> took it like a champ. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh marina's tough as fuck man it's just can we like improve our get-up game and our and our takedown defense like just this much so it's really to me i think that marina's going to win pretty much every stand-up exchange it's just how many uh judo throws and hip tosses is michelle going to hit in this fight she needs three to win she needs to win three she needs to take her down for three of these rounds to win this fight and i just kind of don't see that happening man i just really see marina coming out here piecing her up maybe gets taken down one or two of the rounds but not three of the rounds. And as long as she doesn't get her back taken and choked out, I, I think that she's going to outclass Michelle. It's just, you know, she just got to the United States a day or two ago from Brazil. How's the jet lag? We know that the only fight she lost to Esparza, you know, she was dealing with a lot of stuff. Um, but at the same time, Esparza, fantastic wrestler, former champion, finished Rose Nama Yunus, is about to lose to Yan Jonan. Uh, <laughs> Y'all write that down. But uh, anyways, um, right the yeah. Way I'm going to go Marina here. It's just like Marina, like, Please don't like, you know, end up on your back and not get up like you've done so many goddamn times. Like, I don't want to see another fucking draw because you were dominating this girl and then you couldn't get up from bottom the last two rounds. Like, I don't want I don't want any of that bullshit. So if Marina can take care of business, I, I think that she will. I, I think right now the price is accurate. Like, I don't think there's much value on Marina. I think it's just probably where it should be because that's probably how it's going to play out. But um, well, let's see what happens. Uh, I'm going to say Marina gets it done for sure. Yeah, I like Watterson in this spot. I, I I do think that she lands the takedowns. I do think she gets this fight to the uh, to the ground. Now I'm seeing a lot of takes out there saying that you know the fight taking place at 125 pounds should help Marina Rodriguez's cardio that she seems to like slow down later in fights and she's not able to get back to her feet. I don't really understand that. I think that you, me and you have been around in this game long enough to know whether you're going up one weight class or going down weight class, your cardio is more often not going to be the same, right? It, whether you, you know. Whether you're cutting weight or not, I, I don't think it's going to make a difference here. But with that said, I think that we'll see um, Watterson, who hasn't been knocked out in over 12 years and took a pretty good shit kicking from Yanni and Jacek and kept uh, coming forward. I will say this, though. Even though I call Marina Rodriguez the uh, the poor woman's Yanni and Jacek because of <laughs> her lack of uh, takedown defense, um, 
she can pack a punch. So this might be the hardest puncher that we've seen Watterson fight over the last little while. Uh, with that said, I do think that we'll see Watterson. You know, she she is uh, good enough on the feet. She is serviceable enough on the feet to stay away from the big shots. And then I think she has a very underrated takedown game. I think a lot of people think she's just this karate fighter because of her fucking nickname. But it, it doesn't work out like that. Just watch the Angela Hill fight. Watch other fights. Eight out of her 10 UFC fights, she's landed at least one takedown. It's something that she looks to implement in her fights. And if she doesn't look to do it here, I'd absolutely fire her coaches right away but i think that's what they're going to be doing is looking to drag this fight to the ground and i think we see a submission here too i do think that we see watterson finish this fight later on probably in the third or fourth round um the, I will say that I think Michelle Watterson is the second best jiu-jitsu player that we see Marina Rodriguez go up against. Now, Carla Esparza, great wrestler, probably one of the best wrestlers in the division outside of Tatiana Suarez. But jiu-jitsu, like pure jiu-jitsu, I wouldn't rank her higher than Watterson, to be honest. I think Cynthia Calvillo was the best jiu-jitsu player that we've seen Rodriguez go up against. And obviously, she was able to evade the submissions here. But we got an extra two rounds, baby. We got an extra 10 minutes that Watterson can go out there and try to take the back and try to sink in that choke or whatever it might be, arm triangle, triangle choke, whatever the fuck it might be. I think with that we'll see Watterson actually pull it off. I think the sneaky play here actually could be the under four and a half, which I think is around that plus 200, plus 210 mark as Rodriguez could potentially, you know, torture on the feet and then put her out that way. Or we see Watterson actually go out there and get the submission herself. But I'm going to be leading the Watterson side. I'm going to go with the grappler here or the underrated grappler here and Watterson. Uh, I think she survives uh, the striking and then eventually gets this fight to the ground and then it gets easier and easier and easier the longer this fight goes. And then I think she ends up locking up the submission probably in the third or fourth round. Kind of surprised at the amount of love that Rodriguez is getting here, to be honest, considering we know how bad of a takedown defense game she has. And now we're getting a better striker, in my opinion, with Watterson than what we had with the man Hibas. So I think that she'll be able to stay away from the big strikes. And again, I think she'll get the submission probably third or fourth round here. Yeah, I mean, my issue with, with Watterson is that she wears damage and she does not like it when people start bullying her, start walking her down and start really putting that pressure and that volume on her. And that starts to accumulate for Marina Rodriguez, like, look out because her confidence is going to go through the roof. But of course, that goddamn head and arm throw is, is what I'm fucking worried <laughs> about because Michelle hits it on like almost everyone she fights, man. So, yeah, I mean, she took Joanna's back, right? So, yeah, there's going to be spots where she's on the map, but me personally, I, and, I, and I feel you, man, you're dealing with a plus 170 dot plus 185 in some spots. So I wish you the best. Um, but I do think that uh, Marina gets to her at some point. I don't mean necessarily a finish, maybe, maybe not, but just starts to pile on that nonstop output, that volume and starts to mark up her face and starts to maybe hurt her a little bit. So let, let's see what happens, man. Should be an exciting one. Uh, Shaq's also going with Marina Rodriguez. Let's see who the better woman is. Now, before we get out of here, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, so I'm going to go first. The fight to watch. Uh, I mean, listen, I got to go with uh, Jeff Neal and Neil Magny. Neal and Neal. I mean, listen, man, I, I need to know exactly where Jeff Neal stands right now. Man, I got a lot of questions coming off a near-death experience. Got completely outclassed his subsequent fight. Are we still dealing with that hot top prospect that a lot of us said could potentially challenge for a title one day? And Neil Magny, if you ain't quite on your game against a guy like Neil Magny, uh, he's going to give you a nice little tour of that octagon and show you that vet lesson, as we like to call it on half the battle. I know a lot of shows have been using our terms. We appreciate it. Um, but, you know, that was invented here. 
So I'm very, I'm very curious to see. That's my fight to watch. Neil and Neil. Let's see, man. What's your fight to watch? Uh, it's got to be Gregor and uh, Fajera, right? Let's see if uh, Gregor can actually pass that test. Oh, Toughest yeah. fight he's had outside of that Kevin Lee fight. Does he bounce back from it successfully? Uh, does he, you know, impregnate Carlos Diego Fajera over 15 <laughs> minutes and not to actually get subbed? Uh, a lot of question marks about Gregor, not to mention the layoff. Uh, but yeah, even for Fajera, right? They, this is a, a, a bounce back fight for him too. Uh, taking that second L to Darius, if he goes out there and gets a decisive victory here over Gregor, he's right back into the talks of things. But uh, yeah, definitely my fight to watch uh, tomorrow night or two right. nights from now. Now, real quick, everybody do us a favor. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. We truly appreciate it. My fighter to watch um, is Phil Haas. Look, a lot of people are talking mad shit about Phil Haas, saying he's only got <laughs> one round of gas, even though he just won a decision. And um, I think a lot of people are just discrediting him because of some shit that happened when he was like four and oh like now now he's a grown-ass man so let's see how he performs he's my fighter to watch i got my eye on him i want to see exactly what he does here because maybe maybe he's not the guy i say he is maybe you guys are right about him maybe i'm wrong but i think i'm right and i think you guys are wrong so let's see that's why he is my fighter to watch i want to see exactly what phil haas does on saturday night uh my friend man pre what about you? Who's your fighter to watch? For me, it's kind of a different reasoning as to why I want to see them fight this weekend, but it's Amanda Hibas. Let's see if she actually writes the wrongs. You know, let's see if she can take a punch. Let's see if she can get her game going. Uh, but I think that a lot of people need to tune into that fight and see, okay, is Amanda Hibas the real deal or not? And I think this fight will tell us a lot about it. If she can sustain the punches, if she can get her takedowns, if she can get a submission, get back onto the winning track. Uh, she's definitely the fighter that I'm most excited to see compete this weekend, even if I'm betting against her. <laughs> absolutely i mean we want to see all these fighters compete so manpreet thank you so much for stepping in on 30 minute short notice this guy's the fucking it. man follow him at mma lotn and also uh you know subscribe to all the great stuff he's doing i'm very happy to see your success and i hope that you go all the way my friend um for everybody that just tuned in my boy Shaq has a scratch cornea he said he's got super sensitivity to light his eyes swelled up he couldn't do the show today he wanted to um so y'all make sure y'all send him best wishes speedy recovery and all that stuff Shaq. you know you're, you know you know you're my boy me and i've had a good time at the club last week um <laughs> all the fans that have to battle thank you guys so much for all your support throughout the years new old alike thank you guys very much hit the like button hit the subscribe button truly appreciate it uh subscribe to half the battle on itunes soundcloud youtube stitcher spotify all the places where we are available we'll be back next week for the next card shout out to our sponsor manscaped go to manscaped.com use that promo code battle 20 for 20 percent off and free shipping and also uh, someone said sunglasses shack come on we <laughs> thought about that but uh he, even he's ha he's having some issues bro so it, it wasn't even about sucking it up I'm working for this company called Press Sports. They're an app that you download in the App Store. And basically, it's a great way to discover new talent. All you guys are always asking me, how do you know about all these up-and-comers? Well, I'm very in tune with this stuff. You download the Press Sports app. Go to the App Store right now. Download the Press Sports app and sign up as you know an MMA fan account or whatever the case may be. And you guys are going to discover a bunch of awesome athletes, but also they got this for every sport. So if you guys are into other sports, you're going to discover athletes from other sports. And if you got content, share your fucking content on there press sports in the app store so badass again thank you guys so much for all the uh, uh, all the support truly appreciate it we'll be back next week and until the next time let's cash these bets <laughs>